does have it all. All of our pre-owned vehicles are Hubler Q certified, which include a 128-point vehicle inspection, a free Carfax vehicle history report, and two warranties. A two-year, 100,000-mile powertrain warranty and a 30-day, 1,000-mile comprehensive warranty. Visit any of our 13 locations today or click drivehubler.com. Big night for hoops here in the city of Indianapolis and around the state. And I guess we got to go to not only Bloomington, but Tallahassee and out in Sacramento as well. Hinkle, a little action as Butler takes on undefeated Kansas State tonight. Good Wednesday morning to you. Kevin Bowen, Jake Query, Mark Dykton. A much wintry-like start to this Wednesday than it was yesterday temperature-wise. And you know, I almost find it fitting, Jake, that with the Colts and such a, hey, where are they at in the draft order right now? You look at tonight and you're like, whoa, there's a lot of appointment television. Now, we are going to have to stay up a little late to get it all in, but uh, a great night for hoops around the state. Yeah, and let me ask you this. Does if We alluded to this the other day with the Big Ten ACC Challenge coming to an end, but with North Carolina, and I know that people are jazzed. I mean, I know people whose kids are like, and I'm going to be old man getting off the lawn here in a second, but or get off my lawn in a second. But does the Indiana-North Carolina game at all, I don't really think it does, but does it lose any oomph just because Carolina has slid a little bit in the rankings? Yeah. yeah, you think I, so? I would say. I mean, if you look at the four big games Indiana has in the non-con, non-conference, at Xavier, tonight obviously with Carolina, Arizona and Las Vegas coming up in a few weeks, and then your old stomping grounds, Allen Fieldhouse, uh, kind of in mid-December. This is the, in my opinion, this is the easiest of the four. Um, the fact that it's the only one at Assembly Hall probably adds a little juice. And, you know, I think anytime you're a college basketball fan, you're looking for these non-conference home games with great atmospheres and all of that. The Armando Baycott, assuming he's healthy, matchup with Trace Jackson Davis, of course, is one to one to watch. So, I mean, it still has a lot of appeal, but I think it has lost a little bit of its luster. Now, Although Bob Knight was at practice yesterday, right? I saw that. Um, Ted Kitchell, Randy Whitman, and Christian Watford in the building. Okay, al- allow me to to point out one thing, and I'm going to be the fu- you know, I'm going to sound like the fun police, but I think deep down, hopefully, people will be like, "Yeah, you're probably right." You ready? When it gets a sex, uh, especially when it gets unreasonably cold outside, I think it's a little ridiculous that Indiana University both requires to an extent and allows students to camp outside of assembly hall to get the best seats for a game. <laughs> Is that the fun police? That's the fun police. Am, am I wrong, Kevin? He ran up on my lawn. Like get they, him off my lawn. So my understanding is that the Bloomington police came and told kids that they couldn't have tents. So they're like sleeping in sleeping bags. I'm like, it's 30 degrees outside. Yeah, this is news to me. Um, I don't understand how the student ticket... Well, when I, I I may be off base. Open and you sprint to your seats. When, when I was in school, you got again a long time ago. But you got as a student, you got tickets for six games. You knew that two games were going to be behind the basket. You knew that two games were going to be in the upper level of the lower level, and you knew that two games were going to be in the balcony. And it was just a, a crapshoot of like, oh my gosh, I got Michigan State and I'm behind the basket. Or you know, people would say like, this is my behind the basket game. It was a big deal. Yeah, I think it was similar for me. And. I get it. I mean, there's. They wanted to increase the student population 
in attendance at the games. I totally get it and understand it, and I'm glad students have that opportunity. Don't get me wrong. And I may be totally off base. Somebody with kids down there can correct me, but in talking, you know, obviously I'm at the age that a lot of my friends have kids that go to school there, and they talk about how their kids are like camping out or waiting in line. You know, oh, the coaching staff brought donuts for them this morning because they've been camping out for two days, you know, sleeping in front of assembly hall. And I'm like, are you seriously? It's the winter time. It just doesn't seem. Like yesterday was balmy for them there. It was. No, it was, it was great yesterday. Uh, I chalked that up to college. I'm not too worried about them. I think they will make it through that. Uh, and it will be a tremendous atmosphere, even with North Carolina losing a couple games out in Portland. I thought I saw they flew straight from Portland to Bloomington. That would make sense, probably, right? I mean, they and they may they even had the be... quadruple overtime game. Remember right. that? And they only they only go like six or seven deep. And Baycott got hurt, so I think if Indiana can, you know, I think a, a theme we've seen in Mike Woodson's second year, uh, they've gone into their bench and their bench has played very well this season. I think if you can do that, obviously Carolina wants to run. It's always been their mo, but I think if IU can kind of tap into that, uh, that'll be something to keep an eye on. Purdue, Florida State. That's at 7.15 tonight. IU, North Carolina, 9.15. Uh, Florida State is horrific. And I feel like this is the 17th straight year Purdue's played Florida State in the it, ACC it Big It does Town. feel like every year, right? Or NC State. Isn't NC State like in that mix every once in a while? My senior year, Indiana was at NC State. That was one of the big, bigger wins did of the you Green go? Era. No, we did not travel to that one. That would be a cool one. I, I always NC like how State, the students are real close there, right behind the uh, both benches. I, you know, NC State... Had a great basketball tradition, obviously from you know Valvano, and then you go back to David Thompson and and um, I think David Thompson was NC State, right? I always get that confused yeah. with Daryl Griffith, but uh, you know in '74 defeating UCLA. I mean Norm Sloan, UC, NC State had a great tradition. It's obviously kind of tapered off a little bit, but I still I still think of NC State as a legit like top twenty five program. Am I off base there? I would think so. Oh, you would think I'm off base, or you would agree with that? Uh, that they are. Like on the fringe, right? Oh, no, that you're off base. Sorry. Haven't they struggled? Didn't they go from like Mark Godfrey to... That's what I mean. I mean, I think that they've really tried to find an identity and just really just... They're like Minnesota now. You know what I mean? Keaton or something? Yeah. Uh, yeah, Butler's got undefeated Kansas State tonight. Uh, three and three. That was the first night of the Big Ten ACC Challenge. Um Illinois smoked Syracuse. Uh, Marquette, well, this isn't Big Ten ACC. Marquette beat Baylor by 26 last night. That's number six Baylor, so that's good for the Purdue resume. Uh, Virginia and Wake both won road games at Michigan, at Wisconsin, and Louisville's 0-7. How about that, man? I mean, and they're getting How is that possible, Kevin? How is that possible? I thought I saw a stat yesterday. I think Cal might also be 0-7. They are the only Power 5 programs to start a season 0-7 in, like, eons. Did Louisville... I, I don't know the inner workings of Louisville basketball. I've always kind of liked Louisville. But from the outside, and I'm sure there are people that follow Louisville basketball closely that are that can correct me or tell me, you know... So I'm just going by what the... Per, I'm telling Louisville what the perception of them could be. It seems to me like Louisville is a program... That kind of sold itself out because they got paranoid and felt like they needed to go out and get a coach with Louisville ties that had the whole like AAU connections and NBA connections to be able to get five stars from around the country to like fall in love with Louisville. And that 
they just went out and found a guy that had a connection to the university that, I mean, I guess they started themselves over and hit, hit a complete reset. But Louisville just feels like one of those programs that, and I guess Indiana went through it when Tom Crean first got there, and Purdue went through it when Matt Painter first got there and they made the transition from Katie. But doesn't Louisville feel like one of those programs that just falls out of bed and automatically should at least be 500? Yeah, I mean, they had some just awful teams with Chris Mack and now this. But I don't um, think Chris Mack was terrible last year, no, was he? No, I mean, not not to this, I mean, obviously 0-7 to this extent, but Kenny Payne's first season down there, uh, off to an absolutely... Horrific start. Pacers and Kings, our coverage will begin at 9.30. So if you're looking for Indiana and North Carolina tonight, uh, WIBC for that one. Pre-game coverage at 8.15. Pacers and Kings, 9.30 tonight. Jake, we've got tons of storylines in this one. The Kings were one that got out like the Pacers to a huge start. Yeah. And great expectation, young team, and now they've lost three in a row. Sabonis, of course, against yeah. Turner. Um, Tyrese. Tyrese Halliburton and Buddy Heald going back to Sacramento for their first time. And we saw how Benedict Matherin reacted to playing Jay Nivey earlier this season. I would guess, although they don't play the same position, I guess he'd have a similar reaction to playing Keegan Murray. You're right. Tonight. Uh, Keegan Murray averaging 10 points, 4 rebounds, shooting hair over 30% from behind the arc this season. So not quite where they probably were hoping he'd be at this point, right? Yeah, I would say that's fair. Not he, not quite Benedict Matherin. Let's put cra- it that way. Crazy work. Fourth of the way through the NBA season. You're a fourth of the way to your money, buddy. Oh, no. Better than that. Come on now. You're almost halfway there, right? So what is this? 12 you're, Actually, of, you're 40% there. 12 of 30. So we're at the 25% mark of the season. I'm 40% there. Yeah. That's good. Um, yesterday, by the way, and good morning to you. I don't know if Kevin said that. My name is Jake Quarry. That is Kevin Bowen. Mark Dykton here as well. It is... Kevin and Quarry on a Wednesday here on 93.5-1075 The Fan. As Kevin had mentioned, probably do want to grab yourself uh, the jacket on the way out, although it's not terrible. But uh, after last night's unseasonably warm weather, you're going to walk out and go, oh, it's back down to the 30s. Uh, yesterday afternoon, uh, it was, I mean, it was cool. I watched the better part of it between the U.S. and Iran. And that was one of those matches that, I'm not a soccer aficionado by any stretch, Kevin, but it did kind of feel like the United States controlled it for the better part. Would you agree? Yeah, particularly in the first half. Particularly in the first half. Um, I, again, I, uh, I've i got my soccer updates via Tyler Kiever, coaches at DePaul, and uh, asked him for his thoughts on the game. He goes, wild ride, great first half, came out with the energy needed to win the game, wish they would have put the game away. I think he means adding another goal there. Another great goal, which looked exactly like the way they wanted to exploit Iran. Netherlands is beatable, but we'll have to put together two halves like the first half. Going to need two goals to advance to the quarterfinals, which I believe they've only done once once as a country. I looked it up, and... Saturday at 10 a.m., Netherlands, by the way, ranked 8th, I believe, in the FIFA rankings. The United States, 16th. So, yeah, I mean, it's... Sounds like similar to England, who the U.S. faced a little bit... What was it, on Friday, I guess... Uh, maybe not as good as England and the Netherlands were in, I would say, probably the easiest group. Now, may I ask a really dumb question, and you guys can mock me if you'd like. Sure. Now that they have advanced out of the pool, I, I'm setting myself up here for people to literally pull their car over and go, that guy's the biggest moron on the planet. I know there's 16 teams left. Are there pools again, or is it now a 16-team like round robin? Yeah, we got a bracket. 
We got a bracket now. 16 okay. team. Sweet 16. Right. Here we go. So these matches will now go to extra time, penalty kicks, all of that. We don't end in ties anymore. So this is what happened in 2012, right? They made it out of pool, and then they played in the bracket. And if I'm not mistaken, Portugal, they... I thought it was 2014 with Belgium. Or 2014, I'm sorry. Tim Howard was saving everything. But they also played Portugal, right? Maybe. Because they played Ronaldo, didn't they tie? Maybe that was in the group stage, you, or was that can in you the tie? Knockout? Can you tie in this round, or do you go to well, penalty kicks? Well, if you tie, kicks? you go to penalty kicks. That's what I mean, you go to penalty kicks, right? So I want to say that they, did the United States beat Portugal? Are you looking this up, Mark? I, I, I don't know why I'm thinking that they had either Belgium or Portugal they defeated, and, and like everybody went crazy. I remember the Belgium game being just Tim Howard, incredible, and they lost in extra time to them. And again, the only I think they've been in the quarterfinals just once. Okay. Now I, the Netherlands. I saw that Ari Leindijk was asking who he should root for. That's a. <laughs> so let me ask you. I don't know. I would assume that Leindijk is now a U.S. citizen. But if you grow up in the Netherlands, and you lived in the Netherlands until you were an adult, a young adult, and then eventually your career brought you to the United States, where you have raised your family, I assume. I don't know, but I assume that Leindijk is now a U.S. citizen. Which team, if you're lying, like which team should, if he had to wear one hat, which one should, which, oh, which would he, you? I think he's got to wear the Dutch, right? I would think, right? I mean, it's your home. Now, his children may be different. Correct. Um, they all grew up in Arizona. Yeah, I'm always. You know, home is home, though, right? It shows my sports fandom. I'm already thinking, like, man, are Rosie and Max going to follow the teams that I like? They better. <laughs> you know, it's just like, I don't know why I like think about that stuff. Now, what would you do if. Like if Max became a USC fan, I'd probably have to. I'd have to think long and hard about supporting well, him. Well, think the age about of if Max become if your son becomes a fan of the University of Southern California, then the good news is the money that you made off of the 2022-2023 Pacers, you get to go ahead and spend on a trip to Vegas because you're not paying for his college, right? He's on his own. You are right. Yes. Okay. That's a good optimistic way of, of he's emancipated of, of looking at that. Now speaking of fathers, so Lion Dyke, one of my favorite stories. I probably told it before, but the year in, I was in Edmonton one year. For those that don't know, Ari Lion Dyke, the nineteen ninety nineteen ninety seven Indy five hundred winner, and we're in Edmonton. We were driving. Ari Lion Dyke works for the series now. This was like twenty, probably twenty fourteen around then. And he says to me, like, hey, are you going back to the to the hotel? I need a ride. I'm like, yeah, sure. So I, you know, he gets in the car, and I'm thinking to myself, like, holy cow, like, you know, I better watch my driving here. I mean, Ari Leondike is, is critiquing my driving probably. But we get to the hotel. There was a wedding party going on, and there were all these people milling around, and this young girl in the wedding party who was, this was in Edmonton, uh, very attractive girl, goes bonkers over Ari Leondike. Like, can't believe Ari Leondike's there. Wants to get a picture with them. I'm sure I've told this story 50 times. I, I take the picture. Johnny Rutherford walks in, and I'm like, well, you probably want one with him, too. Huh? Well, he's a three-time Indy 500 winner. I know Leindyke's a two-time winner, but that guy's won three times. Indy five, what are you talking about? And I said, well, it's Ari Leindyke that you just got the picture taken with, and you're like going gaga over it, and all your friends. And she says, oh, no, 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 no. I just recognize him from the home visits on The Bachelor. That's Ari <laughs> Jr.'s dad. That sounds like Maddie right there. And it was literally the week of the, when Ari Jr. was on The Bachelor, and da 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 da. And that's what they they had no idea that he was a race car. I don't driver. think Maddie liked Ari Jr., though. 
Yeah, I think he probably came off as fairly arrogant, right? Now, good dude. But should we be impressed by the U.S. going through their three matches so far and they didn't allow a single goal outside of the penalty kick? Really? I guess you're, so. One one with Wales. That was the penalty in the eighty something minute. Love, love, and one love, right? Zero zero with England. Yeah. Nil nil. And then yesterday, <laughs> uno nil. Uno nil with Iran. I, I do. Yeah, that's impressive. I did find myself, Jake, and we'll play this Christian Pulisic goal from yesterday. Again, every four years, I find myself, to be honest with you, kind of on the edge of my seat yesterday watching that. Oh, it's very, there's no doubt that soccer is, I understand why people enjoy, you know, to be honest, let me rephrase that. Part of me is like, I don't understand why people enjoy watching this only because it is super tense, right? Oh my gosh. I, I mean, it's very like yelling and anxiety and I'm like, gosh, I'm, I you can know feel what? gray hairs popping out of my head right do now. You ever, do you remember this. when you were in school, when you were in elementary school and you'd be sitting at your desk and you would lean your chair back and your teacher would say like, you, you can't do that. You're going to fall backwards. Oh yeah. I definitely had a few falls. So you, you would get to the point right when you thought that you were at the point of no return and you'd catch yourself and then grab the desk. I think I've done that in studio here. There are times that watching soccer feels like that. Did you ever grab the desk and then the desk came with you? Jeez, <laughs> oh, now that sounds that like a, to you? That sounds no, like you could be on the IR not me, for not a personal few story. days. Did you have the desks that where the desk raises up and you put your books underneath no. it, or did you have the like little? It's like desk? a cubby hole, and you could yeah, just yeah, slide yeah. stuff. Yeah, there. that's yeah. that's what we worked with. But you know about Christian Pulisic, Jake. He has been hailed as this. LeBron James like savior, and I'm th- I'm sitting there watching the match yesterday, thinking to myself, "Boy, this is it for him." I mean, every four years you have one shot at it with how soccer is on a global stage. I know he's a great player for Chelsea and all of that, and you know I'm sure diehard soccer fans realize that he he's a tremendous talent. But to the common American sports fan. You are judged and evaluated by what you do in this World Cup. Yeah, that's fair. And the goal he scored yesterday, the the assist from Serginho Dest, if I'm saying that correctly, uh, was a beautiful cross. Pulisic gave up his body. I mean, he got smoked for a minute there. I'm thinking there's going to be no junior Pulisic's running around. Uh, they said later it was a pelvic contusion, went to the hospital. That was a hell of a goal, and I just... It was unfortunate he couldn't celebrate because I'm thinking to myself, what relief he probably feels scoring the goal to send them to the knockout round. Because I think in the soccer world, there's got to be just gobs and gobs of pressure on him to deliver. Because again, if he doesn't deliver yesterday and they don't advance, now all of a sudden you're waiting another four years and you're always thinking about it. Okay. Do you want to know another Jake Quarry dumb soccer question? Let's hear it. These are the things that keep me awake at night, by the way. Who gets the World Cup? Like you, name a country off the top of your head. Brazil. Yeah, I'd assume your your federation would get it, right? I, I would assume that's where it goes, Probably right? Everybody like the, gets a little replica. I mean, does it go in the, like the actual World Cup itself? The actual, the, the trophy itself. It is presented to Brazil or you know, France or whoever. I would assume, like, if the United States were to win the World Cup, where is the United States yeah. soccer, like, feder- federation Miami. office? I, I have no idea. I, I mean, is that where it goes on display? I would assume. Or would, like, it go Everybody to Washington, D.C.? You think it goes on Biden's front desk? <laughs> yeah, I mean, like, does it go to the, the, the Capitol, like, come and see the World Cup? I mean, it's the countries to enjoy. Oh, well, we'll see if we can get on a run here and find out.
Netherlands, Saturday, 10 a.m. Mark, do you have the uh, goal highlight? I do. I thought it was yeah. a great call. I, I've really enjoyed the announcers. Um, here is Christian Pulisic, if I'm saying that correctly. I guess we'll find out. Uh, with the goal to send the U.S. to the knockout round. Robinson. Back for the captain, Tyler Adams. Austin McKinney, Des making a big run. It's meant for him. Des is snuck in behind. Des in the middle. Pulisic! Scores! Might have paid the price, but the U.S. takes the lead. I love that might have paid the price. I think for an announcer, Jake, it paints a picture. He obviously later follows up on it, but I thought... Pulisic was dead after he right. scored the goal. I'm like, is he going to get up? Because he the collision, right? Yeah, I the, mean, the, the, the collision was huge. Um, they held on from there. As I mentioned earlier, they have not allowed a goal outside of that penalty. How about the goalie was a walk-on at Fairfield University? Oh, that's the Stags. They did, they opened the 1987 NCAA tournament against Indiana and lost 92-58 to on March 15th of 1987 at the RCA Dome. How the hell do you know that score? <laughs> do you want to look that up? <laughs> You want to look that up? I'll the 87 my, I'll take your word for it, you dope. Well, you don't believe me? No. Undrafted by the MLS. That's a pretty cool story. That is. Matt Turner in goal for the U.S. So, again, 10 a.m. It'll be the U.S. and Netherlands. England won Group B. They've got Senegal. It's pretty cool to see Senegal. I've always knockout, liked. Knockout stage. I've always rooted for, I mean, aside from the United States, admittedly, in tournaments like this, if a country has the perception, and I don't know the socioeconomics of every country in the world, but if there's the perception that they come from a second or third world situation, I always pull for those countries, the underdog types. Yeah, and Senegal I like would be one. seeing some variety. Like, I don't want to see in the final 16, 10 in, uh, European countries. Correct. I, Correct. I, I love the That's variety fair. of it. And so far, um, I guess we got a little bit of that. Guest wise on the show today, Stephen Holder going to join us at 8 o'clock. Jake, it's the first time we've talked to Stephen since. He chatted with Jim Irsay. I believe that was Thanksgiving. I think that's right. Yep. <laughs> that's got to be. Boy, nothing like, hey, just sitting down to break bread and Jim Irsay's <laughs> dialing you up. So we'll chat with Steven about that. Tom Deanhart covers Purdue football for on3.com, joins us at 830. We'll get the lowdown on Purdue and Michigan. You know, split divisions obviously leads to this. I think I saw yesterday, Jake, this is only the second meeting between Purdue and Michigan in a decade. Really? I thought 2017 was the only other time. Now, my friend Sheila DeMars and her sister Megan, well, my friend Sheila DeMars, who's like a lifelong friend of mine, her sister Chris, she and Sheila and Chris both went to Michigan, and then her other sister Megan and her brother Rick both went to Purdue. So you got two from Purdue and Uh-oh. two from Michigan. House divided. House. house divided, baby. Are they flying the flag? <laughs> They've got, actually, if you go by, you think it's night because they have PM flags flying all the time right there on the front porch. <laughs> Kevin's looking at Mark. He's awaiting reaction and Mark asleep at the wheel. <laughs> I'm just in disbelief that we've already gotten to this point at 723 in the morning. This has been one of the more out there opening it's been a very versatile segment what do you mean out there i'm wide awake apparently people who heard the uh police sirens they all pulled over when i played it i mean that was a little get off my lawn there worried about the high school or the college age kids sleeping outside jake i'm gonna go out on a limb and say they'll probably do some things in college that are a little bit more risky than sleeping outside 
Yeah, and grab a friend. I get that, but do you, do you trust the judgment of a college kid when it's like 10 degrees out and all they have is a sleeping bag? Hey, what, what's it going to break into a Again, I don't, I don't think they're like, life is at risk. Don't get me wrong. I just think from an Indiana standpoint, it's like, really? You're going to make kids do that? I mean, come on. You want to share my tent? <laughs> they don't, they're this, not allowing the tents. You want to share the sleeping bag with me? <laughs> you, you want to pork so chop? on a basketball game? <laughs> Woo! Play a little Jeff Saturday audio here coming up. He uh, did... Show some regret yesterday over the time management. And honestly, I think a little bit more game management than time management. We can get into that in closing out that Monday nighter. The spread for Sunday night continues to grow. Last I saw was at 11. Dallas favored over Indianapolis. Again, a chilly start to this Tuesday morning or Wednesday morning here in Indianapolis. Kevin Bowen, Jake Query, Mark Dykton. Kevin Aquari, 93.5175, the fan. State basketball. Get your tickets at BallStateSports.com on 93.5 and 107.5 The Fan. Yeah, we'll get to college basketball in just a second, but we'll begin with the association. Tonight, Pacers and Sacramento Kings. Sacramento coming in having lost three straight. Indiana, of course, coming off their win against the Lakers. Tip-off 10 o'clock. I always love, Kevin, the late-night West Coast games. And there's just something fun about like staying up late watching the games i realize now we have a little bit different schedule but um the only bummer for me is we've got notre dame at 9 15 indiana 9 15 and then the pacers at 10 that's a lot to juggle well is there juggling for you no it's notre dame basketball <laughs> through and through uh Knicks 140 to 110 over detroit last night julius randall leading score in that game dallas 116 113 over golden state it was the clippers 118 112 Fun storylines tonight with the Pacers and Kings. Halliburton and Heald back there, Sabonis and Turner. Um, it does seem like that trade has a win-win feel to it with how both those teams needed to um, kind of move forward with their respective rebuilds. All right, college basketball tonight. Uh, let's begin. Butler at uh, hosting Kansas State. That's undefeated Kansas State. Butler's actually a slight favorite in that one over at Hinkle. That's an early tip. I think it's 630. You've got Purdue at Florida State. Last I saw, that line was Minus 15 and a half for the Boilermakers. Just shows you how bad Florida State is. How does that happen? I mean, are they just young again because they went through a period where they had solid. I just felt like they always class players. reloaded under right. Leonard Hamilton. So, pretty looking for a road win tonight. And then Indiana and North Carolina. That is at 9 15. Again, the health and just kind of the stamina of North Carolina will be something to keep an eye on tonight. I think that line has dropped a little bit, which I'm curious about. I saw this morning IU favored by just four and a half. I I would definitely take IU in that one. Because, Jake, I think one of these questions we have about North Carolina, did they just get hot for three weeks last year? I think that's entirely possible, yes. Remember, because they, they were like a bubble team in <clears throat> mid-February. I mean, what were they What were they seeded in the tournament last year? They like were six? Well, no, I think they beat Baylor uh, from that 8-9 game. I think Baylor was the one... And they were one of the eight nine seeds. Really, they were that far down. Okay, again, they just got hot kind of late in the year to make the tournament. Um, and again, we'll see about the health of Armando Baycott, their All American big guy. Uh, he was he was a big part of why they got <clears throat> why they were hot, right? Yeah, he was limping uh, in their four overtime loss to Alabama out in Portland. Uh, college football playoff, no surprise in the top four: Georgia, Michigan, TCU, and USC. Little bit of a surprise was there for you, Kevin? That Ohio State still lurks as the five seed and certainly is right there to step in should anybody stub their toe. Question, I guess, becomes 
if TCU were to lose in the Big 12 championship game? I don't think they fall. You, you think they stay in? Well, they're playing Kansas State. Kansas State's ranked 10th. Yeah, that's a good point. So it's not going to be a bad, bad loss. USC would be the one. So USC... And that's Friday night, USC and Utah. Utah's 11th. No, I guess that's not very <laughs> much of a difference. But they've already lost to US, uh, Utah once. That's a good point. They have one loss. It's just wild, Jake, that... And again, we brought this up earlier in the week. One, two, three, and four all play this weekend. Five, six, seven, and eight. None of them play. It, it does seem like it would be hard to be penalized for losing a conference championship game when the team that is replacing you is just sitting idle yeah. because they didn't make their conference title game. Ohio State, Bama, Tennessee, Penn State. That is I mean Ohio State has this going for it. 5 6 7 Penn eight. State is ranked 8th, Notre Dame is ranked 21st. So those are two quality wins, right? I mean 8th in particular, you know, Penn State and there's there was one other team I think they beat. Maybe that's it. Do they just have the two ranked team wins? Right, that's I'm a little confused how Clemson is still nine. In terms of what? I think partially because... Is South Carolina... South Carolina is 19th. Got it. Okay. And they went from unranked to debuting at 19th. I think that helped them a little bit. I mean, there's a chance. Again, we get through Friday night, USC wins, and we could be done. You know, Georgia, LSU, Michigan, Purdue, and TCU, Kansas State, the three championship games on Saturday, even if any of those teams lose, they could still be in the playoffs. So I think it's just a bit of an anticlimactic championship weekend based off what we've been used to in years past. Um, all right, we'll get into some Colts conversation coming up in the 7, I guess a little bit later than the 7.30 segment. Again, Stephen Holder at 8. We'll chat Purdue and Michigan this Saturday night at Lucas Oil Stadium with Tom Deanhart at 8.30. Kevin Aquari on a Wednesday. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. Know the name of this band, Kevin? Somewhat Colts related. Yeah, I should. I, I definitely know the song. This is a great song, by the way. I, it's one of those songs you don't want people to know you like, but it's oh, really? Pretty catchy song, I think. I, I'd raise my hand. Um, <laughs> It'll be playing tonight. Colts related? Kind of. Would you agree, Mark? Yeah. Yeah. I see what you're doing there. Yeah. At the time it came out, I guess. Let's hear it. Uh, Baltimore is the name of the band. Mm-hmm. By the way, speaking of the Colts, uh, looking back and looking forward, we'll begin with the looking forward aspect of it. Kevin, you had mentioned this yesterday, so credit to you in terms of planting this seed. Uh, I did talk yesterday with one of the organizers for 100 Black Men, which is an organization I've been a part of, which helps out with mentoring young students at IPS schools, really throughout the city, not just IPS schools, but inside of schools. Uh, throughout the city of Indianapolis through the United Way and talked to the director of it yesterday. If you have tickets for the Colts' final home game against the Houston Texans, which is slated for January 8th, maybe moved to the 7th, but most likely is going to be a 1 o'clock kick on January 8th. If you've decided that due to coming off, you know, for whatever reason, if you can't go to that game, if you forward the tickets to me, which is jake at 1075thefan.com, 
the radio station you're listening to, Jake at 1075thefan.com. I've gotten in touch with the folks at 100 Black Men in the United Way, where we will then facilitate those tickets to be able to go to mentees and their mentors that wouldn't normally get a chance to go to an NFL game, and they will be on their way to Lucas Oil Stadium. So we have until January 3rd to forward me those tickets. But in terms of, as I would mentioned, that game might be on a Saturday um, or a Sunday, but in terms of looking back to Monday, Jeff Saturday had conversation about regrets that he might have had about what happened on Monday, right? Yeah, the time management late in the game. And, you know, I think a lot was made about it late, late Monday night. We talked about it a little bit yesterday. My issue with not taking those timeouts there was maybe less to do with the clock. I mean, I still think there were some clock implications. I probably had more game management questions of in such a chaotic time, with two rookies out on the field, with a running back that's not used to playing in the two-minute packages, a play caller that is extremely young in this situation, a timeout, yeah, it stops the clock, but it also lets you to kind of regroup and get everybody on the same page. And if you listen to Alex Highsmith, the guy that made the big play on third down for Pittsburgh, after the game, he made it very clear that he knew right away, based off where Jelani Woods was lining up and Jonathan Taylor was lining up on that third down, he knew it was going to be an inside run. And he blew that play up. So that, to me, is more of a game management thing of, again, you get everybody to your sideline and everybody's on the same page. You know, Maybe you make a substitution there. Maybe it's Moali Cox in the game as a better blocker than Jelani Woods in that situation. Um, Jeff Saturday pointed out yesterday that it was a little bit of a disarray situation looking back on it. And if he had to do it over again, he would have taken a timeout. This is after the Matt Ryan scramble before the third and three that Taylor got stuffed on and the fourth down was incomplete. Here was Jeff Saturday yesterday on one and another crack at that. I wish I had that third down back in all honesty. Wish I'd have used a timeout just looking at it on film. Looked at it last night again. Looked at it this morning again. And and uh from a time perspective, I felt I felt good, but the uh you could tell we were in disarray. I just didn't have a great feel. And um I, you know, Parks made a great call. I still liked the call right away. You know, I told him to have one ready. And as soon as he went down, he had the call in place. So his 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 was on. But then we had the formation of personnel. We had guys run across. And again, I just, you know, looking back, it's a learning experience. Definitely is that. You know, Jake, when I think back to the Jim Caldwell era here in Indianapolis, for you, what do you think fans most – remember about his tenure here? Honestly? The starters being taken off the field against the Jets. Which was not his decision, correct? <clears throat> correct. No question. Yeah, I guess Caldwell-related decisions, certainly the Super Bowl, and just well, how for sure. everything happened there to start the second half and the onside kick. But the other thing was, think back to Peyton Manning's last game here. Colts-Jets... Wild card round of the playoffs, 2010 season. Caldwell takes a timeout late in that game that allows the Jets one more I crack. I remember that. I remember that. Yep. Add it downfield. Mark Sanchez to Braylon Edwards. They get in. Was it Nick Folk? I think it's still kicking. They get into much more manageable field goal range. They kick the game winner at the buzzer. Like these sorts of scenarios, the time management, when you call a timeout, when you don't, how you react to the final minute, final 30 seconds. Too much parity in this league to screw that up. Jeff Saturday's in his third game as a head coach, so I'm not going to 
roast him for that. But it is a reminder, and it's kind of why, well, certainly why I laughed at the Jim say, oh, yeah, I like him that he doesn't have any experience. He doesn't have any fear. Well, <laughs> these situations matter a whole lot. And you cannot have those mistakes or else it puts your team at a disadvantage when these games come down to a three points here, a four points there, a field goal late, extra timeout late, all those things. Look at Buffalo, Kansas City in the playoff game last year and how timeouts were handled in that one. Um, it matters a ton. Do you the think NFL. there is a difference between the way that you see and feel and react to the pace of a football game when you're on the field and you're in the midst of it as opposed to outside of it? In other words, are there things that Jeff Saturday, the center, would have noticed or instinctively reacted towards in terms of an adjustment or a formation to call out that he does not notice being from the sidelines and being further removed outside of it? definitely. I I would argue, Jake, you react differently if you're up in the booth versus the sideline. Right. You know, Parks Frazier wants to be up in the booth calling the plays. Frank Reich, you know, obviously is the head coach, wanted to be on the sideline. Um, so that, you know, is is a big difference. Gus Bradley is on the sideline. I think you have some coordinators that would rather be up in the booth. And I know Jeff had people in his ear, you know, suggesting, offering advice on what to do in that situation with that play. This is a little bit of a, I don't know even how many scenarios have unfolded in the NFL this way, but this was from NFL research yesterday. The Colts are the only team this season to have uh, timeouts unused when driving for a potential tying touchdown in the final 35 seconds when they were inside the opponent's 40. You know what I'd like to invent, and if I invent it... I think they had two timeouts left, if I'm not mistaken. What I'm going to invent and patent and trademark, and then I'll give you guys a little bit of love. I mean, if you want to go on a vacation or something with the money, I mean, I'll retire, but... um, the coaches, when they wear the headset, you're talking about Jeff Saturday getting cues from Parks Frazier or talking back and forth, right? And they have the headset, and then what do they invariably do? What does every coach do when they're talking into the headset, Kevin? Uh, do they cover their mouth? Yes. They, they, they usually, with their play sheet, cover their mouth so you can't see what they're saying. I'd like to invent, uh, the, and the Motorola folk, if they're listening, you know, I mean, just give me credit, and then royalties, the... Why do they not invent a the the mouthpiece that has the little microphone on it with a shield over it? So that when you slide it over, it just covers like your hand does, covers that part of your mouth, and you can't see the mouth. That way you're you're playbook free, your hands free. Do we have that already with COVID? Well they had that's the other thing, is like when they were all wearing the masks due to COVID, I'm like, okay, the lips are covered. Like, if it's that important to cover so that nobody can read what they're saying. Baseball, pitchers do it too, right? When they when the catcher comes out, the pitcher uses his mitt to cover himself oh, yeah. up yeah. so that you can't read lips. I mean, I don't know if they all, like, have, like, the Marley Matten or whatever her name was when, when she was on Seinfeld that can read lips from far away. I mean, I, I'm not a lip reader, but apparently people are. But w- wouldn't it behoove them to just have a Motorola headset that when you slide it over, comes the, the microphone is behind a, a small placard that covers your mouth? Sounds, See, the, these are the kinds of things I think about late at night. Sounds like a patent that would go absolutely nowhere. Oh, I don't. I disagree. I mean, I, I think it's kind of like if you were to invent something that you put on your eyeglasses that prevents them from slipping down your nose. Rex goes as John Fox on Saturday's headset during the game. John Fox, I think, primarily defensive-wise, is helping out that side of the ball. I think this is more of specific timeout. You know, I know the word analytics people freak out about, but a little bit more of that, of them chiming in, hey, 
you know, if we get X amount of yards here, I think we should take a timeout. Very time-specific. I don't think that was necessarily John Fox in that moment. Now, can you also have... Like, John Fox being a guy that has head coaching experience, and this is kind of reiterating what you're just saying, but, like, do you think those guys stay totally in their lane, or is their mic open at all times to be able to, regardless of whether it's an area of their designed expertise? Does that make sense what I'm saying? Yeah, I think it'd be fascinating to have a team kind of show behind the scenes what happens on a headset during a game. How many people are is Jeff Saturday talking to during a game? Yeah. And yeah, to your point, where are the open lines of communication? How much back and forth is there? All of that dialogue, I think, would be fascinating. So Jeff Saturday would like to have that one back from Monday. We'll chat with Stephen Holder here in a few minutes. Got this from John, Jake. I don't know if I totally follow it. John goes, let's not get too overconfident in the Pacers this year. Great fun to watch and are moving in the right direction. But for this season, please note it's a young team, several rookies, this is a long season. There will be a wall at some point for some of the younger guys. I don't want to speak for everyone, but I don't think anyone, or at least I am not, acting like the Pacers starting 12-8 and eight means they're going to be a four seed in the playoffs and they're going to host an opening round playoff series. Water will find its level. The Pacers don't have a lot of you know, high-level depth. If Halliburton went down tomorrow, they'd be scrambling for the rest of the season right. and trying to replace an all-star caliber player. But I look at it as put the record aside. You've got young pieces coming together, offering hope, making winning plays late. I mean, that was LeBron, Anthony Davis, Russell Westbrook You're on right. the other end of the floor, and that was Nemhard, Matherin, Halliburton. Are they, are they too young at this point to even know they're not supposed to be there? There's probably some of that. But remember last year, Jake? I know these same guys necessarily weren't there, Nemhard, Matherin, obviously. How bad they were late games last year? Yeah. So it's growth. And all of this, to me, is a puzzle piece big puzzle that you're putting together and you have legitimate pieces Halliburton and Matherin being the biggest ones you still need to probably go find another big piece but those two are unquestioned pieces and then I think look you at said, the complementary pieces I think you said yesterday very well Kevin their missing piece is a long wing defender right yeah six eight six nine yep uh by the way hey Jake my student who's or my uh, child who's a sophomore is already in line for students or for student tickets at Indiana. He's been camping out all day. Things officially open at four o'clock. They're allowed to have blankets and sleeping bags. They've been camping out overnight and will wait in line until four o'clock today when the arena opens. Let's go. I mean, didn't we have the IU? You're right. Kids? It was. It was. Fortunately, it was warm last night. I mean, didn't we have the IU kids at a football game? Was it a, this year? Last year, they just hundreds of them. I don't know about hundreds. Probably more like sixty. Just took their shirts off in freezing weather, and that was like the highlight of the game. ESPN just decided to show them instead of the product on the field. Yeah, <laughs> up in the upper left, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Hey, man, you're right. College, college. That's what it's all about, right? College, college, college. And, and furthermore, to the Pacers' point. You still have the three first-round picks next year. Buddy Heald and Miles Turner are these interesting case studies and what you do with them the rest of the season. So, yes, John, I, I at least am not acting like the Pacers are going to be a four-seed come April, but that to me doesn't really matter. What matters more is you are getting actual, tangible, young evidence of, wow, this rebuild has started and has some very intriguing pieces with more to come. 
moving forward. That's and that's the thing, man. Very exciting. They, that's the thing. More to come, right? The whole hope, Jake. We talked about it with the Colts. The Colts right now don't have very much hope. The Pacers have legit, legit hope. And that's exciting if you're a fan. Got to be. Stephen Holder going to join us, Mark. Yes, that's the plan. Where have you been, Mark, by the way? Are you here this morning? Did I'm you here. take the day off again? No. Do I sound like I have? Mark's gotten it out. I'm a congested. That's all I am. You are. Do you need some do you need some hot tea? Do you need oh, a hot tea? Did you see right I, you I brought in bourbon? some tea? That's tea? Yeah, I put some tea in here this morning. The Cristinari, which I don't know, it's not the Cristinari special, but um some tea and some honey. He, he said also some whiskey would work. I decided to forego the whiskey in there. But Are you yeah. stopped up also? I just feel like my voice is like 82%. 82. Mark, what's yours? yours are, you're at about 55, right? Yeah, I'm, I'm a failing grade at the moment. <laughs> I know it would help, though. Pretty good, but I'm running out of beer, which is a problem. And weed. But that was my own fault. I should have stocked up ahead of time, honestly. <laughs> now, is that live outside of Assembly Hall right now with those students? <laughs> Probably. Probably. A couple beer right. bongs hanging out. Yeah. Stephen Holder. Feels like longer than a week since we've chatted with our next guest. That would be Stephen whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. Holder, who joins us every Wednesday here on the Payless Slickers Hotline. Stephen, of course, with ESPN.com now. And Stephen, I'm sitting there Thanksgiving night and scrolling <laughs> through Twitter because, yeah, to be honest with you, I think I was kind of done with the family. And um, all of a sudden, okay. I'm like, wait a minute. Jimmer saying Stephen Holder are having conversations on Thanksgiving? Boy, that's got to be quite the, um, excuse me, i got to back away from the table here. And all of a sudden, the big guy wants to chat. Well, how did that come about? And, and what were your big takeaways from that? Oh, boy. Yeah, the reason it feels like more than a week since we've talked is because every week on the cold speed is like a year. Okay, that's the first thing. Um so, yeah, I'm minding my own business on Thanksgiving, and Jim Mercy, right now, he's, he's in a, he's in a I, I guess, a mood where, or he's in a place, I should say, where, you know, he, he kind of, it seems, he feels the need to respond to, to things. You know, I, I think when, when he initially made the, the Jeff Saturday hire, you know, uh, Tony Dungy and some others had some statements that he didn't, or I guess took exception to, and, you know, he called a couple of our colleagues and, and had some thoughts that he expressed on that. And so this was one of those instances. I wasn't quite sure where he was going with it uh, when he reached out. And as we began talking, well, first I said, well, you know, Hey, so, uh, we, are we done with Thanksgiving or what here? You know? (laughs) So apparently he had already had dinner. I had not, but whatever. Uh, I think this stems from the uh, Nick Sirianni comments and, and some of the sentiments around it, but I, I just didn't think that required a response, but I'm, I think, you know, we in media, look, if someone of some stature has something to say, you know, look, we are, we are the vehicle through which they can talk and that's fine. So, yeah, I think he just wanted to set the record straight that, that he uh, and Frank Reich, um, he was very fond of Frank Reich and, and had very, 
you know, had had a very good relationship with Frank Reich. And I think I certainly didn't think otherwise. I, I believed that to be true. And I would say that I heard from Frank Reich. He read the story. He agreed with everything that Jim Mersey said, by the way, which was not something that I included in there uh, because it happened later. So I think everybody's on the same page, <laughs> except maybe Nick Sirianni. Uh, but look, Nick was, was talking emotionally, and it kind of is what it is. So Jim mentions in that story that he gave that Frank approached him for the contract extension back last yeah, August, so. and the reason for that was, um, or Jim decided to give Frank an extension, which was not something he typically does with years left on the contract because of the closeness between the Ursay and Reich family. So he was he basically was trying to uh, establish that was that was part of his effort to establish that like hey you know I. I was good to Frank Reich because he claims, and I would have to go do the research on this, but he claims that he is, he's never given a coach a, an extension with two years remaining on his contract. Now, to be clear, to anyone who read the story and was confused about his statements, uh, Jim had his dates mixed up. He kept saying that that happened this year. Of course, I, knowing better, said, no, that happened in 2021. So anyway, he insisted repeatedly, so I... I went ahead and put what he said in there and then juxtapose that, you know, next to here's what the team announced, if that makes sense. So if that was confusing to anyone, that's what happened. But anyhow, to your point, uh, yeah, he said, look, you know, he, he said uh, Frank or Frank's agent, he said Frank um, raised the idea of a contract extension. I guess this would have been back in the summer of 2021. And, you know, he said he was initially resistant, but he did it because he felt, well, you know, maybe that would, would sort of strengthen his situation and, and give him uh, sort of, a, I guess, a, a better foundation going forward. And he thought maybe it would be good in the long term. Ultimately, it didn't work out. But that's, that's, what, that's what Jim Mercer said happened. And, yes, it is another example, he says, of, of him being very fond of Frank Reich and that the firing being just basically a football decision and and not about anything else. Stephen, Jim Mersey, to his credit, Stephen Holder's our guest on the Payless Ziggers Hotline. He's with ESPN and ESPN.com. Jim Mersey, to his credit, has worked very hard and been very public about his work to avoid becoming the unpredictable owner that his father was. And there were a lot of issues that went into his father's uh, unpredictability that fortunately I think Jim Mercer has worked very hard to avoid or shed. However, is Jim Mercer's competitive fire not only for his football team but for his own reputation in terms of his football acumen beginning to bleed over to a detrimental point towards unpredictability of his franchise? I think here's what we can say. We can say that his recent actions, from all indications, Jim Mercer's recent actions, be they right or wrong, and time will tell, his recent actions are certainly, I think, out of character. I think that's what we can say. And, and, and when I say out of character, I say that because he generally, he, has ma- he always makes his, his opinion known. Okay, let, let's be clear about that. Like, if you work for Jim Mersey, you always know where Jim Mersey stands. Okay, because he's going to tell you. That's a fact. But that doesn't mean he's going to 
necessarily dictate what happens and, and what, what you should do. Now, him expressing his opinion, I, I was told this by someone recently, and, it, and it's a good point. I was told by someone recently that, look, I mean, he does have this reputation for, for staying out of things, but he, but he is very, he is very uh, much known to, to express his opinions very firmly, and, and that does sort of uh, influence actions by general managers, coaches, whoever, right? But I think that's also not what we're talking about here. Here, I think he's gone further than just influencing things. I think he's he clearly dictated some things. And then I think that's where there's a difference, you know? So, yeah, I, I think it's a departure from the past for Jim Mercy. And I think that's notable. And it, it, it's going to be interesting to see, you know, how that plays out in, in you know, what's to come because there is going to be a coaching search. And I think this is going to be a bigger coaching search than maybe previously thought. Uh, I'm starting to get that indication. Like, I think the, the shine is off Jeff Saturday a little bit here. You know, not just because of, you know, the situation Monday night. I just mean generally. I mean, look, it sounded good to Jim Mercy initially. I, I think it's pretty clear to, to most people that, you know, look, maybe we should think about this, right? Take a step back and, and, and think about whether this is a permanent, whether this should be a permanent move. I think the fan base, I think you'd have to really sell Jeff Saturday to the fan base in the long term, right? As a permanent hire. So I think this is going to be a, an open-ended coaching search. I'm, I'm starting to, to lean that way. So my point is, we'll see how Jim recent actions, how they play out in the coaching search and other decisions to come. Going off that point, again, Stephen Holder's with us from ESPN.com. The shine off, you are interpreting that a little bit more of the Colts are saying, all right, we need to sit back and really look into this as opposed to Saturday himself looking at it and saying, you know, I don't really know if I want to do this on a permanent basis. Yeah, I, I can't say where Jeff stands. Right. That's that's a good interpretation. Yeah. I, I don't know where Jeff stands. Um, <laughs> look, I think from a from – a, uh, perception standpoint, I think this is probably in, in terms of how you're how you're perceived, right? You know, because when you're the head coach, you know, you, you take a lot of bullets, right? And you, you take a lot of criticisms. Uh, I mean, look, that part's not fun, <laughs> okay? And I mean, just how they played in the NFL for a long time, so it's not like he's soft about those things, you know. But uh, it's a little different when you're the head coach versus being. You know, the starting center, I think that there's a big difference for sure. And in the level of responsibility, right, for for what happens, the wins, the losses, the decisions, all of that. So I don't know. I don't know how that's affected him. I have no idea. I just know that that's something that's new for him. Right. And uh, the job is also pretty hard. (laughs) So I don't know. Again, I don't know where it just stands on all this, but I, I do think that he will have a lot to think about. You know, uh, in terms of whether he even wants the job, right? I, I don't, I don't know that that's a an open and shut case for him. I don't know, and and I think he, I thought he was relatively clear about that when he got the job. I mean, he was eager to do it in, on the interim basis. I, I think he, I, I think he was, he, he left me at least with the impression that, you know, he had no idea whether this is something that he wanted to do or should do in the long term. 
And, and I think from the Colts' perspective, I think that's also going to be the case. I think they're going to step back and, and take a look at this. And I have even heard that they, they're looking at various options out there. Um, I don't know who they are, but I've heard that, you know they have a list and that they are compiling a list of, of coaches to look at. I think he's very smart, by the way. Good. What's that? Well, which I, I think it's very smart. Of I, think, I think you need to have an exhaustive. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Steven, absolutely. you ever have one of those dreams where you're like in a hallway and every door's locked and you're it, like you're in a maze, like one of those escape rooms? Like, have you ever had any sort of like epiphany like that? Am I the only one which is entirely possible? You know, this is going to surprise you. But I can't say that I have. Okay. But I'm but I'm 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 willing to hear this out though. Do, Let's go. Do you feel like that right now? Uh, okay. So, <laughs> but you know, I mean, you get the imagery, right? Like you have that yeah, dream, or like in a horror movie where somebody's in a hall and you know trying to get out, every door's locked. That sounds I, terrible. Yeah. It it is, and I feel like that's when I look at the Colts' future. That's what it feels like to me. Yeah. Every single avenue that I think of as being their outlet towards a a sunny future moving forward has a, the doors locked. They don't have a quarterback for the future. They don't have a left tackle theoretically for the future. They don't have uh, a, a a field stretching wide receiver for the future. They don't have a coach right now in the future. It's not certain they have a general manager in the future. I, talk me off the ledge here. No, I I have to kind of agree, and and I'm, I'm trying to articulate a, a quarterback story here. You know, there's so many moving parts to that whole thing. But as part of that, what one of the things I've been thinking about is these last three years where they've gone with the veteran quarterback. They've done it in part because they didn't feel like there were they didn't feel like the draft was was a viable option for them, you know, to find a starter immediately, and that's fine. Whatever we can we can criticize that we can quibble, whatever. But also, there's another reason. The the other reason they went with veterans is because they felt like we got a pretty good team here, and maybe we're just a quarterback away from taking another step, not winning the Super Bowl, but a, a quarterback away from winning in the playoffs or whatever that case might be, right? I think most people would agree that had some influence on how they proceeded at quarterback. Now think about that. This team is no longer just a quarterback away. This season has laid bare the reality, which is that they're not a quarterback away. And maybe they were never, maybe, maybe they never were a quarterback away. You know, I think that's, that's fair to ask now. And, and so it leads you in a place Kind of where you just described, you know, where are they? <laughs> they have, they they arguably have more have more problems than than actual solutions for the future, and I think that's really disturbing if you're a Colts fan. I, I I'm not talking you off the ledge. I guess is what I'm doing here because I'm also not telling you to jump, but <laughs> say it. I get it. <laughs> so look, I, I think one thing you didn't mention, and I'll add to your list. You know, their best defensive player. Shaquille Leonard is a very muddy future right now, you know? And I think the strength of their team has been their offensive line. doesn't feel like a strength of their team right now. And, and they've got a lot of money invested there. I mean, there's so many critical fundamental issues and questions that need to be answered that I think that the future for the Colts is, is very prob- problematic in the, in the short term. I mean, I'll take the Steelers. I'm rambling now, but take the Steelers, right? So they draft 
they draft this quarterback, Kenny Pickett, and you know they've had a lot of ups and downs this year. And so I think that shows you how how the the typical rookie quarterback goes, right? And he played well the other night at times, I thought. I, I actually think there's a lot of upside with Kenny Pickett. But I bring that up because it just goes to show you, if they go draft a quarterback, I'm all for that, but I'm just... But right, you're, you're, you're stepping back two years, right? Exactly. That's exactly But Steven, right. so, 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 which leads to my other question, which is this. If you're Jeff Saturday, I, I guess my question, and this is where I just get confused when I... Again, more doors are being locked to me in my hallway because mm-hmm. I, I think about Jeff Saturday and I'm like, okay, Saturday probably wants to win games right now because he wants to show that he can coach in the NFL and prove doubters wrong and whatever else. I get that. Chris Ballard probably wants to, at this point, start assessing players and figuring out who you know who we can keep around and whatever else, and maybe he's looking more towards the future. Boom. Two people, two different pages, theoretically. In addition to that... Then I look at, like, does Jeff Saturday, in his mind, is he playing for, or is he coaching right now to be the coach? Or is he coaching as an assessment for a different area in which he's going to be with the organization? And and how does Ballard feel about that? And are we back to Grigson Pagato? Two guys, to, I, I just... To me, the whole thing is just a huge mess, literally. like I feel like if you're driving on 56th Street, there's going to be a huge roadblock around Lafayette Road that says, warning, construction upcoming. You know what I mean? Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, I, I think uh, not to mention all the potholes, right? So Yeah. <laughs> look, so, so listen, I, I agree with you there, and I, I just think, I, I do think that part of part of what they have right now and it's maybe it's temporary, so maybe it doesn't matter. But but I think you just laid it out. Part of what they have right now is they don't really have a brain trust. <laughs> you know, they have three people with maybe competing loyalties, goals, viewpoints. I don't know where that gets you. And, I, and the three people I'm talking about are Chris Ballard, Jeff Saturday, and Jim Mercy. Like I don't know if any of those three guys are on the same page about anything. I, I don't know. I, I'm saying I'm not saying they aren't. I'm saying I'm just not so sure that they are. And and you laid out why that's probably the case. So uh, it, it's a it's not a great situation. I think, and, and I think that impacts what happens in the future and decisions that get made and where you focus. All of those things. Yeah, I agree. It's a problem. Yeah, again, major questions at the pillars that Jim Mercer always talks about. Head coach, GM, and quarterback. Yeah. And I don't think, even in 2011, 2017, uh, you know, 98, like you still knew Manning and Luck were either coming or they were there in the sense of still on your roster. Obviously, you don't have that right now. Steven, last one from me. And again, Steven Holder with us from ESPN.com. I thought Matt Ryan looked incredibly old the other night. Um, I, I just, I feel like his arm, I, I don't know. It, he just looked 37 to me. Um, why not Nick Foles? I mean, I'm not acting like it'd be some significant upgrade, but this passing offense can't do anything, especially can't do anything vertically. There's a financial component that you're running the risk of continuing to play Matt Ryan, and if he were to get hurt behind this offensive line, he'd be owed even more money for next season. It seems like they want to win now, even in this you know four seven and one um, current scenario. So I I don't. I'd play Ellinger, but again, that's just me. It doesn't seem like that's necessarily on the radar. Uh, why don't you think Nick Foles is being thought of as a possible option? That's a fair question. I haven't thought a lot about Foles, but I do think that's a fair question. I, I agree with what you said uh, about Matt Ryan 
I, I thought that his balls have lost some velocity. And maybe it's a shoulder, Stephen. And, and, and yeah, I, I wonder. Because I, I didn't think his throws looked this way earlier in the season. You know, I just didn't. I, yeah, I'm, not saying, I'm not saying he was like 84 Dan Marino, okay? <laughs> but I'm just saying, like, I, I, I think they definitely have lost some velocity, his throws. And, and there were times last night, even on the deep throws, the, the like two or three that they had, the intermediate throws, really. The one to Jelani Woods, the ball takes a long time to get there, if you look at it. And it gets there, and it's accurate, right? He's, he's still pretty accurate, but it takes a long time to get there. And I think some of those balls to the, to the outside, the, the throws outside the numbers, if you notice, the Steelers were jumping those throws. No, they contested so much. Yeah, and and I think you are onto something there, and and that's that's probably very. I think there's a relationship there. Is what I'm saying. So anyway, to Foles, it's an interesting question. I I, I guess part of it is they uh, they probably feel, and Jeff Saturday probably feels like Matt Ryan has been kind of yo-yoed a little bit this season, and he has. That's fair. Uh, now, should that matter? I don't know. Maybe it shouldn't, but. But I, I guess I guess what I'm saying is it's probably delicate, you know, and how you proceed there because you've already kind of had a train wreck in how they've handled the quarterback situation already. So I don't know. I, it'll be interesting to see if they stick with Matt Ryan. But I think Jeff Saturday was pretty clear about that the other night. We'll see if he sticks with that. Steven, I'm going to – I hope you're laying on a couch here because I'm going to – ask one more totally Freudian question for you. Or actually, I guess I'm the one laying on the couch because I'm doing a psychoanalysis of myself. Um, I have said on this show, I've said numerous places, I want to run a theory past you and you as a more dialed in and educated man than I can critique it. Um, A general manager in the National Football League, there is no player under which a general manager can find himself more attached at the hip than quarterback. And and I'm, by that, I mean when they go out and they draft a quarterback. You can be a general manager for a long time, but you truly go on the clock once you select the quarterback that you are going to then build around. And part of me wonders if Chris Ballard has not avoided going the quarterback route in terms of moving up and selecting the franchise build around quarterback because he knew that was the moment that the clock began and that all microscope then truly goes on the acumen of the general manager. And the time is now where all of a sudden the judgment day is here and he's not going to have a choice and he's got to do it. Your thoughts? No, I think you actually are correct. And I, I guess if, if you're on the couch, I guess that that means that I'm the, the therapist. That's right. I I don't know if I'm qualified for that, but I would say this: I, I think Chris Ballard's statements. I don't have to say. I don't have to psychoanalyze him because he said it. Okay, he has said it. He has said enough things and made enough statements that I think have led us to believe that he, that he has been timid about the quarterback situation. There also has been. There, there also haven't been, like, prime opportunities. Let's be clear, right? It's not like they've passed up a bunch of quarterbacks on their draft board. They haven't. They, they really, really haven't, right? So I want to be clear about that. I, it, I don't think we can, like, pound him for it. But I also think he has given us his, his outlook on this a number of times. And it's almost like I think Chris Ballard has he, – he wants the sure thing at quarterback. Here's the problem. There isn't one. 
unless you're picking like first in the draft. There really isn't one. And so that's part of the problem. And that is, I think, one of the, the difficulties that Chris, Pall- Chris Ballard is going to have to get past if he's making the quarterback decision for this team next year. And I think you're absolutely right. Can Stephen Holder, ESPN.com, if you missed it, head to his Twitter feed, uh, chatted with Jim Mersey. Um, late last week, I know, kind of get lost in the holiday shuffle, um, but a lot of stuff over on ESPN.com from Steven. Uh, we'll see you later today over at West 56, Steven. All right, guys. See you soon. That's Steven Holder right there on the Payless Liquors Hotline. Tom Deanhart to chat about Purdue and the Big Ten Championship coming up this Saturday night. Um, he joins us here in a few minutes. Let's talk a little morning checkdown right now. The Morning Checkdown, brought to you by Ball State Basketball. Get your tickets at BallStateSports.com on 93.5 and 107.5 The Fan. Uh, Busy night in the association, but we will begin with one of the games that actually will end the evening. It's the Pacers in Sacramento taking on the Kings. Sacramento coming uh, coming in with a three-game losing skid, but they have played well since the trade that has brought Tyrese Halliburton here. Domas Savonis, Kevin, you mentioned earlier, might be simply one of those trades that is a win-win win in terms of freeing up players for both teams but Pacers coming off that big win against the Lakers tonight 10 o'clock in California's capital four and a half point favorites for the Kings a lot of storylines like you said Halliburton healed Keegan Murray Benedict Matherin Sabonis Turner should be a fun one from Sacramento a college basketball tonight it'll begin at Hinkle around 6 30 Butler's hosting undefeated Kansas State Butler actually a slight favorite in that one, despite big discrepancy in record between those two teams. That's Big East Big 12 challenge. The Big 10 ACC challenge got underway last night. Three wins for the ACC, three for the Big 10. Uh, Purdue will try to get a road win at Florida State. Do not think of this as your older brother's Florida State team. They are woeful this season. Purdue is a 15.5 point favorite. Uh, and I'm still seeing 4.5 for Indiana hosting North Carolina. That's tonight. 9-15 down at Assembly Hall. Indiana by 12. Yeah, I think Indiana will win comfortably. Yeah, Indiana by 12. This, to me, is the easiest of the four marquee non-conference games. Already won at Xavier, this one tonight. And then uh, Arizona neutral floor in Kansas at Kansas coming up in mid-December. Uh, college football playoff, Georgia, Michigan, TCU, USC, the top four, no surprise there. What might be a surprise to some is that Ohio State is right there fifth and lurking at 11-1 and one overall. Question now becomes, in the conference championship games, can a 13th game hurt you if you were to stub your toe? One might think for USC possible because that would be two losses, both of them coming to Utah. The Utes, by the way, are ranked 11th. The rest of the top 10, Alabama is 6th, Tennessee 7th. I was surprised Tennessee, uh, by the way, is 7th. Penn State 8th, Clemson 9th, and Kansas State, who plays TCU. Is the youngest team of the World Cup is moving on to the knockout stage. That would be the United States men's national team. Christian Pulisic giving up his body for the goal yesterday. 1-0 um, victors over Iran. So they advance. They will take on the Netherlands on Saturday at 10 o'clock. Uh, again, it's a 16-team bracket now moving forward. Um, simply just one-and-done football football the rest of the way uh, here's what it sounded like yesterday on Polisic finishing off a beautiful pass from Serginho Dest Robinson back for the captain Tyler Adams Austin McKinney Dest making a big run it's been for him Dest is stuck in behind Dest into the middle Polisic scores might have paid the price but the U.S. takes the lead pelvic contusion 
for Polisic there for a while there. I was I was thinking more about the future of his Excuse me? Trying to maybe create a child what? or two. You've been asleep all day. I have not. Mark Dykton. You, like, at one point, I forgot you worked here. It's like when you, it, you, I thought maybe you were taking part of your seven weeks vacation. No, that'll be on and, Monday. And then you come in with phallic sound effects. That's a boing sound. There's nothing phallic about it. Was that supposed to be the sound of the soccer ball? Yeah, it was going off Death's head. Okay. Again, initially, I thought it was more... Hubert? In that region, but it sounded like a little bit more pelvic rib area for... Pelvic. pelvic is more like your side, kind of like it? hippish. Yeah, yeah, hip. Area. Exactly. It's a bruise. Well, it didn't look like you got hit in the hip by to me. Well, I'm just, Sounds uh, like he's going to try to give it a go on Saturday. Again, the U.S. Gamer. and the Netherlands. The United States goes through their three games here in the group stage. Am I the only one when they a goal uh, non penalty? Now, can I just tell you this? I get very confused by this. The Netherlands is is Holland. Is Holland just simply part of the Netherlands? Holland is like one island of the Netherlands. And then the Netherlands, I get confused because if you're from Holland, you're Dutch. But then I always think of Dutch as Denmark, but that's Danish, right? Holland is a west western coast of the Netherlands. No, I think Holland is a very popular tourist spot here in uh, Michigan. That is correct. It is that as well, yeah, right? Yeah, I think my parents go there they have a lighthouse there that, that, every other month isn't everything supposed to be like don't they have like wooden shoes and stuff in holland questions we probably michigan, will not I mean. throw at tom dean hart next purdue and michigan in the big 10 championship this saturday night at lucas oil stadium let's chat a little boiler football next whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits long live listening to your favorites learn more about cascali ribocyclob 200 milligrams at kisqali.com and talk to your doctor to see if cascali is right for you you know here's the way i look at it for purdue okay purdue playing michigan in the big 10 title game and, and what we know is this, Kevin. What we know is that Purdue became the national darling a few years ago in the Rondell Moore game when they blew out Ohio State and, as a result of that, spared all of us across the country watching all of those Ohio State people and that one Buckeye fellow that paints his face from being in the playoffs and all that stuff, right? Yeah, the Tyler Trent game, right? Correct, yes. So, I, certainly, I would like to see Purdue win the Big Ten Championship. But if they do not, and they fall short against Michigan, I'm just simply chalking that up as Purdue once again doing their part to spare us the the plague of Ohio State again being in the college football playoff. Because if Purdue were to beat Michigan, they're going to, although it seems ridiculous that Ohio State would replace the team that beat them by three touchdowns at Ohio State. There's no but, way Ohio State would replace Michigan. You don't think so? No way. Michigan just beat them last week by I, three scores I know, at their own but place. you've got, I mean, if... If Michigan loses to an unranked Purdue, you don't think that that falters them three spots? No, not when you have the head-to-head so recent. Okay, well, I, I hope you're right. At Ohio State as well. I hope you're right. Uh, let's chat more about Saturday night inside of Lucas Oil Stadium. It's going to be an awesome atmosphere. Really looking forward to it. Purdue and Michigan. Tom Deanhart, who covers the Boilers for On3.com, is with us right now. Um, Tom, I guess let's start with... Aiden O'Connell and everything he's been through this past week. Um, just kind of the latest update on him. Um, I, I assume the expectation is he will try and give it a go again Saturday. Yeah, you want to ask Jeff Brown on Monday. <laughs> okay. 
Is that peanuts? Now, you know, here's the thing. <laughs> Purdue is known, of course, of being the school that landed the first man on the moon, right? Uh, the second one from Purdue is actually on the phone with us right now, right? Is that Neil? <laughs> is that Mr. Armstrong right well, there? Well, Mr. Armstrong's no longer with us, but <laughs> but that sounds like a connection from uh, where he's been, for sure. <laughs> yeah, a hair muffled there. We'll try and get Tom D. A hair muffled, he said. Did you make out what he was saying there? Yeah. Yeah. He was saying, light us. We're ready for recess. That's what he was saying. 16 and... <laughs> Did he land? Has the Apollo yeah, landed? Here. Tom, do we got you? I am here. Sorry about that. No more was up. Boy, that sounds pristine. Thank you for that. Um, was asking about Aiden O'Connell, Tom, and just maybe when you first got wind of what he was going through off the field and the latest update on him, just kind of practice-wise, heading into Saturday night. I first heard something during that IU game, during the process of that IU game, and then um, obviously people saw Aiden on the sideline, unconsolable, and then Jeff Rahm was asking the post game about it. He got very emotional about it, didn't provide any details. And then, of course, Aiden sends out the social media message on Sunday sort of explaining what's going on. And, yeah, you can only imagine how he's able to, to battle through and play in that old Oakland Bucket game. And, you know, talking to Jeff Rahm Monday and then Brian Rahm yesterday, you know, Aiden is still not on campus, understandably. Still back home taking care of family matters. Uh, not sure when he's going to return, but, you know, Jeff Blom thinks he's going to be ready to go and he will play on on Saturday. So, yeah, just uh, an incredible storyline that's, that's, you know, really, you know, overarching this, this big moment for, for the free football program. Tom, with that, it has been a circuitous journey for Purdue to get to this point into the Big Ten championship game. Obviously, the Big Ten West was very topsy-turvy. There are two ways to look at it. One would be that for Purdue, it's house money. Nobody expects them to beat Michigan. What the heck? Let's go for it. Let's have fun with it. Um, you know, you do have the Aiden O'Connell story, maybe that 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 bonds the team together and rallies around their leader in that regard. But uh, the other way to look at it is that Purdue hears so much about this disparity west to east and Michigan being the team that's just going to waltz its way into the playoff that Purdue just folds up tent, psychologically speaking. Have you gotten any sense in seeing the program or the players themselves, like what kind of pep is in their step or which way they're they're rolling here? Well, I think just the guys we talked to last night after practice, Payne Durham especially, they're, they, they realize their role here. They know they're the underdog, and I think they already are embracing that. Uh, Sixteen and a half point underdogs. The last time I checked. So, yeah, and you talked about house money, and that, that's a great way to put it. At this point, it's all gravy for Purdue, right? All the pressure is on Michigan. They're the, they're the playoff team. They're the, the defending Big Ten champ, and, and they're supposed to roll over Purdue. So, again, um, it's nice to play in that, that underdog role. And, again, I think Purdue has embraced that. It's a role they've excelled at, guys. And you probably saw the stat right on Jeff Brom. He's 3-0 and at Purdue against top three-ranked teams. So these moments haven't been too big for him uh, when, when that spotlight's glaring really brightly. Again, Tom Deanhart with us here on the Payless Sickers Hotline on 3.com, covers the Boilers. You know, if you look at Michigan last year, they, they beat Ohio State in the big house. They come to Indianapolis, and they did not overlook Iowa whatsoever in clinching their playoff berth. 
Purdue and Michigan have not seen each other really at all over the past decade. I think it's only one time. Um, just overall thoughts on this matchup specifically of what you've seen from Michigan. They look tremendous on Saturday, but you know they've struggled with Maryland at home for a while. I think Illinois hung in there. I mean, hell, I think Indiana might have had a lead at halftime or hanging in there for a half in Bloomington. Just kind of strengths and weaknesses for Purdue versus Michigan. Yeah, Rutgers was leading them at halftime out in Piscataway earlier this year as well, so they're very good, very physical, you know, kind of like a Bo Schembeck for 1985 Michigan team. Uh, they want to run the ball, and, and they've had the, the big-time running backs and Donovan Edwards and Blake Corm, obviously, but Blake Corm's probably not going to play. And uh, the quarterback, J.J. McCarthy, right, he's the guy that I think Ohio State last week dared to throw the ball, and he did just that and showed he could hit some big plays down the field. And defensively, right, um, in front to back, and it's excellent. Brian Brom said last night, going to be the best defense they see all year so there's just really not many weaknesses on either side of the ball um i think if, if you're pretty offensive you got to try to keep it away from michigan right um devin mock kind of gives you a ground game and he can maybe extend possessions for you and that would open up obviously the pass game for o'connell and company and defensively i guess you hope michigan maybe commits three or four turnovers I think the only way Purdue wins this thing is if they score, again, like an unconventional touchdown on defense or special teams. So it could happen. We see crazy things happen all the time, but it's going to take almost a perfect meeting of the football gods for for Purdue probably to pull this one off. Any guess or idea on the ticket split inside of Lucas Oil Saturday night? Again, Michigan there last year. You would think Michigan fans are probably looking to save a little bit for the playoff. Um, Any idea of what it could look like in there? Yeah, first people, most pundits think, guys, if Michigan even, should they get upset, they're still going to go to the playoff. Uh, you know they still want to win the ball game, but uh, there's always that that's got to be in the back of everybody's mind. And you're right, if you're a Michigan fan, maybe you save your money for that for that playoff game. I'm not sure about the, the, the split. I know I asked somebody at Purdue yesterday how many tickets the athletic department got. I was told 10,000. And I know the student tickets sold out very quickly among the, the, the kids here in West Lafayette. So, you know, maybe it's maybe it's close to being a 50-50 crowd. You think with the excitement for Purdue fans only 60 miles away that, that they can maybe have maybe even an edge from a fan standpoint come kick off at 8 p.m. down there in Lucas Oil. You know, Tom, Tom Deanhart is our guest, by the way, talking Purdue football here, who takes on Michigan in the Big Ten title game. You can read Tom's work at On3. That's the number three, On3.com. Tom, um... Jeff Brom has been very offensive at times, particularly kind of in his rise towards when he come to, towards when he came to Purdue. Offensively, he can be aggressive in the fact of not afraid to kind of pull rabbits out of the hat or just do different looks, different things. Seemingly for Purdue, you know, as you talked about with that Michigan defense that maybe Purdue's going to have to get a little bit creative here. Are we going to see Purdue just say, hey, here's who we are and here's what we do and, and try to stop it? Or are they going to try to do some of that house money, let's just come up with wild wrinkles type scenarios? I think he's going to have some type of a wrinkle. He, he, he typically does, right? I, and why not let it all hang out? I mean, I, like, like we spoke about a moment ago, they've got nothing to lose, right? This is house money. This is gravy. And uh, go down blazing, right? And uh, we've all seen Jeff Rom over six years be pretty innovative from an offensive standpoint. And uh, I got to think he'll have one or two things that Michigan hasn't seen that he hopes maybe gives him some type of an edge. Maybe it lets him get a key first down at a certain juncture of the game or 
or, or, or at their goal line, and it, and it creates a situation where they can get six points instead of a field goal. So, yeah, I do think we are going to see something. Now, that's his strength, right? He's, uh, I think most Saturdays, guys, in most of these games in six years, I think when he looks across the field, I think he has a little bit of an edge schematically. Not always the best players, but I think schematically he has an edge. And it's going to be tough to do that against Tarball, but I think, I think Jeff Brown will come up with a wrinkle or two to try to give Purdue a, a, an edge, especially, like I said, at, at a critical juncture in the ballgame. I was going to say, I feel like the bag of tricks for Jeff Brom always seems to have something in there in these sorts of matchups. Again, Tom Deanhart is with us, covers Purdue football for On3.com. This is a very dumb question, Tom. If Purdue wins, they go to the Rose Bowl, right? That's what I'm told. I've I've checked with Jerry Palm on that. And uh, I know the Rose Bowl, some story came out about the Rose Bowl changing its criteria, but... Um, as far as I still know, from what I'm told, trusted by Jerry, of course, Jerry's the, the CBS Sports Bowl expert. He's also a bracketologist. You guys probably talked to him, I'm sure. And Big Ten champ, it's not going to playoff. It's supposed to go to the Rose Bowl. And then if, so, they, if they were to lose, well, what do you see as bowl options for Purdue? And Jerry told me when I talked to him a couple of days ago, he thinks – and most most likely they're going to go to Florida. He doesn't see them not going to a bowl in Florida. So that means going to Orlando, the Citrus Bowl, or going to the bowl in Tampa, the, the ReliaQuest Bowl, which used to be the Outback Bowl. Right now, Jerry and others have Purdue playing in Orlando against LSU. And the big key Boy. for Purdue, yeah, the big the big key for Purdue is going to get Penn State into a New Year's Six Bowl. And most people think Penn State is going to get to the Cotton Bowl. And that's going to happen because LSU got beat by A&M last week. I don't want to get too deep in the weeds here. But, again, it's setting up right now for Purdue to land in Florida, most likely the Citrus Bowl, should they lose this ball game uh, on Saturday night. So, heck, the Boilers have not played a bowl game in the Sunshine State since 2006. And they played in Orlando back then. Uh, So, again, uh, I'm sure the Boilermaker fans would love to take their pale bodies to Florida in, in, in early January, watch some football, catch some rays, right? Do they still have the pull-on Weed Eater Independence Bowl? Oh, man, no. And I and I, I have a moment of silence every New Year's Day for that, for the <laughs> because, because, Tom, the, the only bowl. thing better than going to Shreveport, Louisiana, is telling people you're in the pull-on Weed Eater Independence Bowl, right? Uh, which, now now we got the Cheez-It Bowl, which, is, which is, isn't quite as good. But hey, Clemson good. won the Cheez-It Bowl last year. I got a box of Cheez-Its from it. Yeah, that's nice. And then we got the Duke Mayo Bowl where you get the mayo. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah they got the mayo there's, splash, there's, yep. There's, and there's an outside, outside shop where you could go to that bowl. Can you imagine Jeff Brom getting mail? Oh, yeah. Head? I love that. Or, or, I don't want to be that guy. I mean, Purdue fans taking their know. family think, down to Florida to I take think, on LSU. I think Mayo probably goes pretty well with a lot of the – like Wisconsin should go to the Mayo Bowl. That fits right with their fan base, doesn't it? You know yeah, what they I mean? Can dip their cheese, they can dip their cheese curds <laughs> in mayo, right? That's exactly right. Tom, uh, enjoy Saturday night. I think it's going to be an awesome, awesome atmosphere down here in Indianapolis. Uh, Purdue fans with the ups and downs of this season. Uh, going to be a great atmosphere in there. And house money, as Jake has said, that's an accurate way to put it with Purdue and Michigan this Saturday night. Uh, going to be a fun game to cover inside of Lucas Oil. Tom, thanks for the time this morning. Hey, thank you very much for having me, guys. Take care. That's Tom Deanhart right there. On the Payless Liquors. I don't even have house money, right? I've got like apartment money.
How about that? Purdue LSU. That would be an interesting bowl matchup. Purdue yeah, Auburn did not what. go very well a few years ago in the bowl game. That was fifty six nothing after the first, right? Uh I thought after the opening kickoff it was fifty six nothing. It's pretty bad. Um our old boss Jeff Smoley gonna join us next, Jake. His alma mater's uh, going to say, for a bowl here, right? I wonder if he's nervous about Friday night at all after those college football rankings, although watching his team against my Irish on Saturday, uh, he should not be nervous with Caleb Williams uh, under center. We'll talk about um, a new book and maybe a little holiday present for those out there. Coming up next here, Jeff Smolian. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. Joins us next. Now, Mark, did you notice that this morning I showered? I, I did. Mean, I, I know you Kevin weren't there did too, for I it. Think, but... Which is a nice change of pace for both of you. Well, we knew that we had to look professional, right? Yes, Why always. start now? What's... Always. <laughs> I mean, we're, I don't, I don't perceive myself as a professional broadcaster. But Kevin, as you know, that when there are people that I consider to be professional, I figure that we need to look at least upkept. Right? I, I couldn't agree more. Uh, Jeff Smolian is with us in studio. Jeff, of course, what he. Um has done and did with MS Communications speaks for itself and an unbelievable history in sports radio, the godfather of it, and has got a new book, Never Ride a Roller Coaster Upside Down, um, and want to chat about that and a whole lot with you here because you are uh, on the board of trustees at USC right now, and I'm sitting there watching that game on Saturday night thinking, I think Colts fans might cut off a pinky for a Lincoln-Riley-Caleb Williams combo, but you probably wouldn't like that, right? Well, no. Yeah, what I would say is I wanted the the NFL to do what the NBA used to do, draft futures, and the Colts draft Caleb Williams a year in advance like the Celtics did with Larry Bird. Because I, yeah, I think he's the best quarterback I've ever seen at SC. Uh, people, um, friends who've seen him play UCLA and and Notre Dame the last couple weeks said, "My gosh, he's really good." I said, "He does this every single week. Every week he does something. You sit there and go, wow, I can't believe that play.' His capability. It's like he is always a step ahead. Nothing yeah. rattles him around him. The pressure comes and he just kind of pushes people off him. And, and he and he could be on a full run and throw the ball forty yards down the field and hit somebody in stride. And you just sit there and go, how did he do? that and he does it every week well you you know obviously jeff smolian you're involved very involved for those that don't know in usc athletics and so you know university of southern california i think now it's well publicized uh gave lincoln riley all of orange county and half of san diego to come out there and it's paid off (laughs) but But not but not a bakersfield (laughs) no bakersfield Um, (laughs) but did you anticipate this kind of a return on investment this early in the tenure no i i got involved with the athletic department uh, because of the economics of the pac-12 so i spent a lot of time and got to know mike bone very well when mike bone first said he thought he had a shot at lincoln riley i went oh my gosh i can't believe you can nobody everybody knew that we needed to change the culture dramatically and and certainly i didn't think that you would be you know 11 and 1 the first year and should have beaten utah you know a lot of people jeff would would critique and i probably have been in this school of thought the the debate just you know in terms of the money that goes into athletics and paying a coach a lot of money and everything else and yeah. then i look at it and i say 
but there probably is an ROI with that because of not only the marketability of the program, but I would assume the revenue that comes in in terms of alumni pride off of a dominant program like that in terms of donations that it pays for itself. Is that fair? Yeah, yes and no. And I I spent almost four years working on the economics of the Pac-12 for USC. And as you know, the end result was we ended up going to the Big Ten. Right. Uh, and people say, how could you do that? And it's simple. It, 50 to $70 million a year more for the university. Um, but it is it is pride. I had a, a former president that said, you know, it, it's not the donations. Somebody doesn't give you $200 million uh, to name the School of Liberal Arts because they like your running backs. Uh, those donations come because of uh, the desire for academic excellence. But it does build a sense of pride. And, and our and one of my friend who was president of the university said, you'd be amazed how many Nobel laureates want to come out here to teach because they like football too. Um, <laughs> so that's, so there, there, are, there are byproducts. 72 and sunny helps too, Kevin. Right, yeah, yeah exactly. Um, we've got a ton to get to with you. Again, never ride a roller coaster upside down. Um, I think some Ken Griffey Jr., some David Letterman, some Andrew Luck type stories. Like you said, the USC move to the Big Ten, something to hit on as well. Um, and then just the godfather of sports radio. Um, without Jeff, certainly we are not here today. So we'll chat about that coming up in the 9 o'clock hour. Kevin and Corey. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. Right here on 93.5, 107.5, The Fan. That music that you hear right there is quite possibly what would be playing on this radio station if it not were not for our next guest who was kind of the original brains and vision behind Sports Talk Radio. That's just one of the things that can be read about in his new book, Never Ride a Roller Coaster Upside Down. We're talking about Jeff Smullyan of Emmis, who joins us here in the studio on Kevin and Query on a good-looking, by the way, Wednesday morning to you. Good morning to you, Jake Query, along with Kevin Bowen. And um, First off, Jeff, before we get to talking about, because there are a billion things we could talk about with you, I don't know that people understand or were aware of your involvement in this facilitation of USC and UCLA joining into the Big Ten and then the dominoes that could fall with that. But before we get to that, let me just simply ask, the book itself, what was the, the original brainstorm of, you know what, I should write a book and take me through the process of being able to do that? Well, I have an 18 year old daughter who, by the way, is not at USC. She's a freshman at Georgetown and loves it there. Um, I would take her to school every day. So from kindergarten until I, I, she fired me when she got a driver's license. Um, <laughs> so that's what I have to look forward to. Oh, yeah. You're absolutely. saying with my daughter. <laughs> yeah, the, the pink slip will come in. Um, but we just talk about life every day. We always had a 30-minute drive, and we talk about, I'm sort of a lesson guy. Here's what I learned here. Here's what I learned there. Here's a story about that. And one day she said, Dad, nobody would ever believe these stories. You got to write it down. And when COVID came, things were slow. And I, I'm one of those people who stayed at home for about four days. Uh, and then the, the dogs and the wife and the daughter, uh, I sort of said, you know, I could be quieter in my office here upstairs. So I came in and just started writing. And the next thing I knew, I had about 300 pages, sent it off to a couple friends who both said, you know, you got a book here. Um, and then the next thing I knew, uh, I got an editor who was fabulous who helped me. She'd say, this is extraneous. This doesn't move the story along. Amplify this. And then we got an agent and a publisher, and uh, here we are. One of the anecdotes in there comes courtesy of David Letterman, and he had a quote saying that you gave him the confidence to leave Indianapolis. Yeah, that would be a, a, a fictitious quote. 
uh, David. David, I think what he, I think what he meant was your management was so bad. I needed to leave Indiana. I think that's what David. Meant. No, I, I, I don't mean that. that. Your, your relationship with David and yeah. how all of that. Unfolded. Yeah, that they, 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 David was really nice enough to, to do a quote for the book, as was Andrew, who is my next door neighbor. Uh, Andrew Luck, for those Andrew who Luck, and and Jerry Reinsdorf, who's been like a big brother to me, and Evan By and Ken Griffey Jr. and Senior, all the people that um, you know I worked with. And uh, but David really was just absolutely brilliant um, when he took the job with us uh, at the first radio station I ever ran. He said, "I'm going to do this for a year. I'm going to go to Hollywood and see if I can become a writer." Uh, it worked out pretty well. Yeah, I would say. Jeff, yeah. what's interesting to me is that as you're writing that book, you probably are realizing different people that you have rubbed elbows with, worked with, mentored, whatever it may be. Yeah. And I would imagine that that creates in you a feeling of like, wow, like I've met some really interesting, really fascinating people. But is it surreal for you? To realize and recognize that there are other people that someday in their book will have the same pride of the fact that they met Jeff Smolian. Well, you know, you always hope so. I think the thing I'm proudest of is sort of the things that we we did and stood for. The the point of the book is in, in you know is you do fail as much as you succeed. Uh, understand the failures and laugh about them. Um, when you talked about sports radio. Uh, that was a project I always wanted to do, and when I presented it to our managers, they pretty much laughed. Um, and that would have been what year? 1986, when we okay. talked about it. We launched it in 87. Uh, I have two chapters in the book. One is, the, I, one of my favorite sayings is, a line between being a genius and an idiot is very fine, and I've been on both sides many times. So the chapter about fan is idiot to genius, because nobody wanted to do it. Uh, Rick Cummings, uh, to this day, laughs about it. Uh, we had a manager's vote and it, it failed, so we weren't going to do it. And Rick Cummings, who's been with me since the beginning, came in the next day with Doyle Rose and said, you know what? We owe you one. We're going to do this idea of all sports radio, but we want to let you know it's stupid. Um, and it was <laughs> and this in, was in New York, right? This was in New York City, WFAN. And then it, it was a bomb for about a year. Uh, and then we bought the NBC stations and merged it and put Imus on and Mike and the Mad Dog. And then it became the hottest radio station in America. So I went from idiot to genius on the same project. And then following up on that, then we dealt with the New York Mets. We knew baseball. I always loved baseball. People said, you guys are marketing wizards. We need marketing wizards in Seattle. So I went to Seattle as the boy wonder. Uh, and, you know, you know, I was a hero. Uh, and then three years later, I was uh, probably the biggest pariah in the entire state of Washington, which is tough. Uh, but I went from genius to idiot. So it happens. And uh, and I think the fun thing about the book is just telling the stories and reliving them. And hopefully people will find it funny. Hopefully people will learn from the lessons, good and bad, um, and maybe learn some things about the economics of all these businesses. Why were you so bullish on sports talk radio having staying power, particularly in local markets? I just thought – I thought that the future of, of especially in those days am radio was not going to be music we were sort of pioneers in building fm music stations uh and i thought and when we got to new york it was a simple math question I said look if the future of am is music uh, i mean fm is music and am is talk there's two all news stations wins uh, and wcbs there's two talk stations wor and wabc so if we're going to ever do sports talk and i'm also sort of the believer that radio's like an anchor tenant like a shopping center we had the Mets so that was your big tenant um, and then so we had the Mets and we built it around it and um, 
it worked. But if you would have seen in the vision and in yeah. the future that eventually it would lead to the pairing of this radio program, you would have stopped the roller coaster, right? <laughs> that would have been, yeah, I would have voted against it uh, that day in New uh, York in 1985. I had said, I got to deal with Jake and, Ke- and Kevin. Um, I would have said, no, I'm not doing that. That's right. <laughs> How did it come to be the ownership of the Mariners and, and just um, maybe some stuff behind the scenes that the common fan wouldn't know about what it means to own a well, professional sports franchise. well and you know everybody said it's an ego thing and you know we've always said look we we always looked at the economics of any business we like the business the buying a baseball team was really a recognition of the future of television and cable tv we saw it coming uh as i always said we saw it uh, but we were too early the market was not the right market um but I loved it. I thought the. I always say you do your best management in the toughest situations. We did some things there uh, for the game day experience and the average fan that had never been done before. Uh, all sorts of in stadium stuff, fireworks, uh, crazy video clips, which you see now everywhere. Um, one of my favorite projects was doing situational music to, to things. Um, which was a lot of fun. I can still remember the one that we thought we were going to get kicked out of baseball for. Um, the, the, the Yankees had Louis Polonia, um, and Louis Polonia had had a, an underage incident in Milwaukee, and when he came up to bat, we, we played she was just 17, you know what I mean? Uh, and we thought that was going to be problematic. But, Probably wouldn't uh, fly today. Yeah, but, but at any rate, we had all sorts of fun and uh, did great things. But, you know, the market was tough. Uh, the community had never embraced the team. And I and I've said, we weren't rich enough. Um, you had to be, I, I joked it once, to own the Mariners or the Milwaukee Brewers or the Kansas City Royals, you had to be a billionaire in those days. If you owned the Yankees or the Dodgers, if you had a paper route that was moderately successful, it was okay. But the math was bad. We just couldn't afford it. Could you see Indy ever no. having an MLB team? I got into it wanting to put a team in Indianapolis. Were you part of the the arrows group with Art yeah, and Gotti? Yeah, peripherally, yeah. They were friends. Art and Gotti was a friend, and I worked with them a little bit. Um, and the math just never worked um as as it became a game of region number one it became a game of disposable income um suites and ticket sales and signage and and um and it also became a game of cable tv and if you look at indianapolis's cable market you know you get 60 miles to the south and you're in Reds territory, Correct. and you get to Lafayette, and you're in Cubs and White Sox territory. Terre Haute's always been Cardinals territory. So the math didn't work. We actually had a chance to move a team here after I was out of baseball. Uh, and I thought Which about Which team would it have been? Well, it was when the Expos were. Okay. And they didn't know what to do with the Expos. We talked, and, um, and I talked to some friends in baseball, and, and one dear friend said, look, you've had bad economics before. Do you really want to have worse economics in your own town? Do you believe that... You know, there, there is some uncertainty. Uncertainty is maybe the wrong word. Yeah. Jeff Jeff Smolian is our guest, by the way, and the book is Never Ride a Roller Coaster Upside Down, The Ups, Downs, and Reinvention of an Entrepreneur. The Pacers are in, you know, here you have in the NBA your old market of Seattle. Yeah. It seems inevitable they're going to end up with the team. Las yeah. Vegas, one would think, is going to end up with the team. And just based on market size, I do worry. I don't have yeah. anything to base it on, but I worry about after herb simon the long-term viability in indianapolis for the pacers is that a valid concern yeah it is uh we are too small to have two pro sports teams we're very fortunate we always talk about ourselves as the 20th market or the 15th market. we're about the 40th metropolitan area in population 
Um, it is it is a tribute to the Simon family uh, and to the Ursays that they have stayed here. Um, and my and, and of course the NFL doesn't matter much. You give me an NFL team in Tipton and I'll be happy. <laughs> right, right. Um, but I think Steve is Simon is as committed as Herb. Um, and I think that's why they're doing this whole renovation. Um, and, and I do believe the N- and the NBA will expand into into Phoenix. And, and there's a long reason why they didn't stay in Seattle. And a lot of the same things we had. Um, you know, the, the, Seattle is a wonderful place. Very tough for support like this. I got in trouble once and said, if I had these problems in Indianapolis, I could meet with the corporate community and the government and solve them in three days. And that was that was true with the Sonics. It was true with us just the way it was so you do believe though that the pacers will long-term stay in it i think so i really do what's uh andrew luck like as a neighbor andrew's the nicest guy in the world just could not be a nicer person um andrew's getting his master's at stanford this year yeah education right yep and uh it could not be a nicer person. you know if he moves he won't tell you ahead of time Right, we know that. Uh, about oh him. no, it's not. No. I, I love Andrew. I, I have people always say, well, "What's your What's your next door neighbor doing?" I go, "Yeah, I don't know." Traveling the world, right? Yeah, they but just welcome their second kid in. Yeah, they, 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 they have uh, Penelope, and she was born this summer, right before they went to Palo Alto. But wonderful person. When I did this book, we were talking one day. He said, "Let me read it," and so he read like the first draft of it, and could not have been nicer. What he, do you think he ends up doing? I think he'll coach. My guess is he'll coach. Uh, I think he'll coach high school athletics. Andrew is a brilliant guy who can do just about anything. Jeff, I've always applauded Andrew Luck in the fact that I've never bought into, you know, the people that say, well, he quit on his franchise and he set them back. Listen, I mean – He's he's a guy that I think looked into the crystal ball, right, and said, you know what, I want to be able to pick up my daughter and, yeah. and walk through the yard with her. But if he is in graduate school at Stanford right now, yeah. the question for you would be, does that mean that he is going to be attending graduate school at a, at a future Big Ten institution? Um, if I had to bet, I would bet that the next wave, and it won't be for a while, is that the Big Ten and the SEC will end up with 20 schools. And if I had to bet, I would say it would be the pairing would, interestingly enough, Notre Dame and Stanford. There's a wonderful academic parallel there. Um, and, and and probably Washington and Oregon. So you're saying 20 schools each or a merger? Because no, the Big 20, Ten, 20 schools each. Big right, right. Ten of 20 and so the, the pack. I'm thinking the, the Big Ten right now is at what, what number are they at 16. right now? SC and UCLA would be 15 and 16. Okay, so then four that would have to be added. Yeah. And you think that's Stanford? Stanford would seemingly pair well with Notre Dame, right? Right. That leaves two then. Right. Oregon, Washington? I would, if I had to bet. And again, total, I have no knowledge. That if I if I had to bet, the SEC will add four and the Big Ten will add four more. Is Notre Dame the white whale in all of this? Like, Yeah, they are. Um, Jack, and, and, you know, Jack used to work with us, and I love him dearly. Um, Jack Swarbrick, the AD there. Yeah, and, uh, you know, Jack has always been able to be independent and can. Uh, they've had this, this deal where they had their own deal with NBC and then they get some ACC revenues. But I think at the end of the day, if there's two super conferences, Notre Dame will be one of the two. And it certainly would be the Big Ten because of academics. You obviously have seen a ton of events come across the city of Indianapolis in your time. Do you think in the next, I don't know, 15, 20 years, Indy gets another Super Bowl? I think so. I think we, you know, we, we dazzle people with, uh, with the one we had. Uh, and I knew some NFL people, and I, I joked and said, if a drop of snow falls anywhere between here and Peoria, it will be picked up before it hits the ground. 
uh, they were dazzled. I think when we got it, I think we got it because there's sort of an unwritten rule that you build a new stadium and Northern sure. City gets one. But I think, you know, we clearly are the best in the world in, in doing things like this. Only Indianapolis could play all 63 NCAA basketball games. Um, so, yeah, I, I do. What is the failure, Jeff Smolian, that most kept you at times from feeling 100% confident? And what is the failure that most motivated you? Well, I think the failure was, you know, I mean, listen, the first station I ever ran, uh, the one with Letterman didn't didn't work. The Mariners was, uh, I always say, it's one thing to fail. It's another thing to fail in front of 30,000 people every night. Um, but I think they always motivated me. I think the biggest failure was seeing the company collapse in 09 when everybody said, you're going to go bankrupt. Uh, and me and a number of wonderful people who were still upstairs basically said, we're not going to let that happen. We're going to save this darn thing. Uh, and we did. Uh, we At one point, Amos had over a billion six hundred million dollars of debt. We paid it all off. Today, we have money in the bank. Um, I think that was a failure that I think uh, I was very proud of the people around me who just said, we're not going to quit and we're going to save this thing. What led to you wanting to create Emmis and then put it right here on the circle? Well, I always wanted to do this. I was a kid who grew up listening to baseball games and rock and roll music. Uh, and I and I've told my daughter who's now a freshman in college, she's gee, I don't know what I'll do yet. I said, look, I was an anomaly. I knew I wanted to do radio when I was probably 15 years old, maybe earlier. Uh, and I went to school, studied broadcasting, got a law degree. In those days, nobody said get an MBA. They said go get a law degree. I studied broadcast law. And I always knew I wanted to start my own company. And my dad, I, I was going to stay in California. My dad said come back, and he convinced me to come back. Um, so I always knew it was going to be here. And then we were in like four locations and the mayor said, we got a, an open hole on the circle. Would you think about putting the company there? And we said, yeah, yeah. And never regretted any of those decisions. You know, and, and I don't mean that this is really going to sound like I'm, I'm kissing up here. I'm not, I mean, hell, you're not our boss anymore. So yeah, you, you don't know, really, I'm right. surprised you guys um, could be on the air. That's right. But <laughs> there was a stranger but, walking in studio. Yeah, that's right. But there is and, and I'm I'm simply asking if you're aware of this for those of us like myself who grew up in Indianapolis and have a great pride in Indianapolis there has been this security blanket of knowing that you were one of the people that was based here in Indianapolis because it felt like the city would never be in position to completely fail so long as certain pillars were in place were you aware of that and does it come with pressure well I, I, I you are probably the single only person of the six and a half million people in the state of Indiana who would believe that I would be a pillar that would uh, save <laughs> well. the state of Indiana. But no, I mean, I, I take great pride in the fact I've been involved in a lot of things in this town that I'm very proud of. Uh, I'm proud of the culture. It broke my heart when we finally said, look, we got to get out of the media business and do something else. But, uh, but it's been a great source of pride to be here. Uh, I have friends from LA and San Francisco and New York and Chicago and everywhere and said, what are you doing there? But I love it. It's home. My family's been here for over 130 years. Um, and so it's it's a matter of great pride when people ask you to help, you know, do the things that, that might make the city better. I asked this a bit selfishly, so apologies on that front. But every morning when I drive down here, yeah. uh, it's just an amount of gratitude I hope I have in doing what I love yeah. and so passionate about it and lucky to do it. Um, what do you think the future is of local sports radio? 
I think it's there's always going to be a need, and I think there's a better future for for basically sports and and news talk uh, because it's local. I think the big failing of the of the industry is it stopped being local enough. I think a lot of the companies believe, and, and I think it was a function of having too much debt. And when you read the book, you'll see all that if you want to read the book. Um, but there, there's something magical about the connection that you can't get anywhere else. And if you're a sports fan in this city, and probably 30% of the people here, maybe more, are sports fans, um, this is the only place you really go to get it. I will tell you, if we, if, before we break, I can tell you an anecdote if you want. Um, we when we invented when we put sports radio on the air uh it, it was different because they used to say that when you were in sports um and before sports radio if you were a ball player or manager or an owner uh and you got ripped in the newspaper um you got ripped um and and you read the paper and it was done for the day but with sports radio it was 24 hours a day so one of my dear friends uh who was in seattle um and kidded me and said you know i'm not a religious man um but he said it's ironic that the guy who invented this stupid format that allowed every one of us to get attacked 24 hours a day is now an owner and he's getting attacked 24 hours a day (laughs) and he said it proves to me there's a god um but it did it changed everything and it's a forum for people and so will it will it decline over time listen i don't know but I think if I'm going to bet on on the radio business, I'm going to bet on the things that are local that matter to people. And this matters to people, you know. Did you ever go to Kings Island and ride the Screaming Demon? No, I'm I'm I no, I am not a roller coaster. Kevin, guy. did you ever same, ride the Screaming Demon? Jeff and I are the same. Well, I'm the only one here then that's ridden a roller coaster upside down. Yeah, I, <laughs> and, I, yeah and that's why that's why I named the book because I ain't doing it. <laughs> but enough. I did it with my life. But there were parts. I'm assuming there are parts of the book that for you while you were going through it were an upside down roller coaster, right? Yeah, there were, and I and I look at the book, and I, you know, I think the thing I'm most gratified is the people who've read the book think it's really funny and think there's some interesting lessons in the stories they like the story so it's been very gratifying the initial response i've had um but living going back through and living all of it i go oh, wow why did i pick this why did i not pick that and you'll see a lot of those in the book if you, and, if you choose to read and again people can find the book pretty much uh, it starts yeah it comes out next tuesday okay. uh, and you can go I'm getting into full sales mode. By the way, they never let me sell anything at this company. (laughs) And they said, don't talk to clients. Uh, If you go right now to Amazon or barnesandnoble.com or booksamillion.com or or the Apple uh, whatever it is uh, bookstore and just type in my name or never write a roller coaster upside down, you can order it now. It will be released on Tuesday. I love it. I love it. Awesome holiday gift. And I think I speak for Jeff or Jake and I and certainly everybody here at the station. Thank you. For everything kevin yeah. and and you as i've said to you guys both you guys do a wonderful job really and i can say that now because i'm just a fan i'm not an owner anymore <laughs> can you call but alfred liggins and tell him yeah, that yeah, yeah, yeah. put in a good word for us <laughs> all right thanks guys i appreciate yeah. it uh again jeff smolian never ride a roller coaster upside down the ups downs and reinvention of an entrepreneur available basically wherever you can find books and eventually will be available in audio form as well got the pop quiz coming up in a few minutes let's hit a morning check down 
The Morning Checkdown, brought to you by Ball State Basketball. Get your tickets at BallStateSports.com on 93.5 and 107.5 The Fan. Since Jeff Smoy was just here, we'll start with college football. USC, his Trojans are fourth in the college football rankings that came out last night. TCU is third, Michigan, and Georgia of course, are 2-1, and one, respectively. Ohio State, the interesting one, sitting right there at number 5. They are 11-1 overall. Alabama, Tennessee, Penn State, and Clemson just behind them. While we're on the college front, let's hear from Matt Painter and Mike Woodson. Tonight, the Big Ten ACC Challenge for the Hoosiers is in Bloomington. A marquee one with North Carolina, who has lost twice already this season. Uh, but in typical North Carolina fashion, they want to get up and run. Uh, Mike Woodson on North Carolina and defending them in transition. Transition defense is important in every game that we play. All these teams that you play, everybody's trying to push. They got fast guards. They get the ball up the floor. So we got to get back and build our wall and make them go through our half-court defense. I mean, we can't have them running all over the gym and expect to win. Again, that's 9-15 tonight, 7-15. It's Purdue at Florida State. They are a big favorite. This is not what we've been used to from the Seminoles here in years past. I think last I saw, 15.5 for the spread. Purdue favored in this one. Shooting up to number 5 in the rankings. Here was Matt Painter now, and a little bit more of a bullseye on this Boilers team's back. Just kind of human behavior, right? And just natural that, you know, hey, they, they beat Gonzaga, they beat Duke. Like, you know, we got to be ready. And now you get somebody who's a little bit more sharp because they see the success that you've had. Well, the people that are having that kind of success, like, you know, you got to have the capacity to get it too, right? And just be ready to play and be ready to compete and, and understand what you're, you know, what you have to do, but also understand it's a different game and a different style. Uh, speaking, by the way, of success, the Pacers have had that coming off their win against the Lakers. The Sacramento Kings have a three-game losing streak, despite also having some early season success. Those two tonight, 10 o'clock in the association. That rounds out basically a full slate of games as the Pacers-Kings tip off. You can hear it at 10 o'clock tonight. Game three of seven for the Pacers on this big Western road trip. Yesterday in Qatar, it was the United States men's national team one, Iran nil. So the U.S. moves on to the knockout stage. 16 teams now. Um, again, it's one and done from here. So no ties. We'll get penalty kicks and extra time and all that good stuff if these teams are tied after 90 minutes. Uh, yesterday, the U.S., their one goal from Christian Pulisic. It sounded like this. Robinson, back for the captain, Tyler Adams. Austin McKinney, Des making a big run. It's meant for him. Des is stuck in behind. Des in the middle. Pulisic scores! Might have paid the price, but the U.S. takes the lead. He did pay the price. Sent to the hospital, uh, I think after halftime, a pelvic contusion day-to-day for the United States' best player, maybe him or Tyler Adams there captain but Jake I've watched several of the videos kind of post game locker room hotel celebrations when you play this sport where you're representing a country it's once every four years you've kind of been the butt of jokes a little bit in the sports world seeing these guys and their emotion it's been pretty cool yeah it is pretty cool and you know this was what was predicted right was this the youngest team in the tournament and Kind of make some noise, get your feet wet now, and then set yourself up for when the World Cup returns to North America in four years. So cool to see. Uh, no question about That's it. That's rare here. Thank <laughs> you. That is rare Appreciate air. that. The That's Dutch, good. 10 o'clock. I do like the Netherlands kits. Now, they can kick the ball really far because of the clogs, but movement, not a strong suit. In my opinion, that sucked. <laughs>
I'm just think that's why Jeff Smolian decided to sell. Yeah, and, so. you know, knowing <laughs> what was, I'll take the loss if I need to. Right. Yeah, knowing what was coming down the road. Yeah. All right, it is pop quiz time. 317-239-1070. Scotty J is in studio. Um, get Jiffy Lube oil change up for grabs. Uh, Scotty, your thoughts on today's pop quiz? Harder than usual. For Scotty to say that usually means very difficult. That's so. what she said. Uh, give us a ring. 317-239-1010. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. 70. Pop quiz time. Can you handle the pressure? Sharpen your pencils. It's time for the Pop Quiz with Kevin and Query. Brought to you by Jiffy Lube, Indiana's favorite oil change since 1985. All right, I, I might distribute a few hints. Oh, boy. Shocker. Thanks Is for the breaking sky blue? news. Yeah. Again, the integrity of this Pop Quiz, it's <laughs> a bit like the NLI sheets in the... Uh, NLI name image likeness. NIL sheets NIL. of the SEC. By the way, two house cleaning notes. First off, when it comes to house cleaning, uh, just a reminder, Jiffy Lube does love helping out folks who help out other Hoosiers using their car. So thank you to Jiffy Lube, who you can always nominate Hoosier Heroes uh, at the Jiffy Lube Indiana website. And somebody will be able to get one year of vehicle maintenance from Jiffy Lube if their car is the purpose, like, for example, Meals on Wheels, which is a fabulous organization, helping out other Hoosiers involving their car, Jiffy Lube is committed towards making life better for all of us in central Indiana, and that is always appreciated. Um, number two, we had mentioned this earlier, and I'll mention this several times between now and when the Colts and Texans play to wrap up the season, but that game, which is tentatively scheduled, I believe, for January 8th, but is it possible, Kevin, they could play on the Saturday? I mean... Yes, but there's, no. Yeah, I mean, there's <laughs> no way they're going to put that as a marquee Four-win Colts right? and the one-win Texans. Right. So a lot of people just coming off of the holidays, if there are things going on or for whatever reason you cannot make it or decide not to go to the Colts-Texans game to end the season, but you have tickets for the game, maybe you're a season ticket holder and you're not going to use your tickets, if you would be willing to or be so kind as to donate those tickets, we've done this for the preseason and it worked out well. Yesterday, I got in touch with the directors of 100 Black Men, which is an organization through the United Way that works with different youth throughout the city of Indianapolis in a mentor-mentee program. Many of these students that would not have an opportunity to go to an NFL game under regular circumstances if you donate the tickets by simply emailing me the tickets, because it's all electronic now, jake at 1075thefan.com. Just remember the radio station you're listening to in my name, jake at 1075thefan.com. If you forward me the tickets, you have till January 3rd to do so, so plenty of time to make up your mind. But if you forward me the tickets, I've gotten in touch with the United Way. They will be distributed so that kids with a proper mentor escort will be able to go to the That's game. That's awesome. So there you go. Awesome, awesome, awesome. Wouldn't it be awesome if that game ended in another tie? <laughs> Scoreless? 
It'd be like the World Cup, right? Tie to start the year, Colts and Texans. Tie to end the year, Colts and Texans. Boy, that feels like three years ago when they tied to start the year, doesn't it? Gosh, Max was born that day before that. Notre Dame Marshall. We were blindfolding Max early in his young life from watching football. Is that tie going to hurt them in the draft, you think? It's definitely not helping them. Yeah, and we can get into this math project later in the week with Jake, but the tie means a half of a win. Okay. So when you look at the standings, you see all these four-win teams, but yet you see the Colts at the 14th pick. But again, they're it's actually like four and a half wins when you divide out the I win see. percentage. Yeah, I see. Okay. So I, I know it's a little confusing, but the good news is for those that are all in on the tank, you're an 11-point underdog to Dallas, and then you don't play next week. It's a bye week, so that allows all those other four-win teams to win a game, and then that should push the Colts up into the top 10. I fully expect the Colts to be in the top 10 of the draft order here in the next couple of weeks. All right, it's time for the pop quiz. Scotty J has called this one of the more difficult ones. And in scanning it, I would agree. Okay. Plenty of hints galore. And Jake has said he will be handing out hints. No shock there. It's like Oprah <laughs> handing out money. <laughs> that's right. Uh, a number one through eight. Um, that's a good question. A number one through eight. Well, I'll just go with five. I don't know. I just feel like five today. Johnny Bench. A good question with a lazy answer. Uh, let's go with Mike. <laughs> Mike. Yes, up, Mike. Sir. How you doing? Mike, where where do we find you this morning? Are you in the car? Are you at home? Are you at work? Uh, driving up 31 on my way to Westfield, getting ready to go by the Shamrocks High School on my way to uh, build an indoor putting green. Whoa. Okay. Tell well, me more, right. Mike. Yeah. yeah, right? Mike, you've called the program before, right? I'll give you my address, Mike. You can make it's been, a stop yeah, in my it's house. Been a, it's been a couple months, but yeah. Okay. Indoor putting green. How how is this for a house? If you don't mind, for an office. What's this like? Yeah, it's for a, it's for a place of business. So um, I can I can send some pictures over to you guys after after we get done with this terribly difficult pop quiz. Oh if you'd my. like, we're looking good. I say, screw the pictures. Let's just install the thing downstairs. Now that I think Kevin's getting all hot and bothered. Yeah, you're gonna get a lot right. of hints from me on this pop quiz, yeah, Mike. Let's do it. Let's do it. All right, here we go. Mike, would you like for me, that would be Jake, to lead you off, or would you like Kevin to begin the quiz for you? Go ahead, Jake. All right, question number one. For the second straight year, Purdue faces Florida State in the Big Ten ACC Challenge. This is the fifth time the two have hooked up. Which of the two schools, or the sixth time, excuse me, they have done so five previously, which of the two schools leads the all-time series? Would that be A, Florida State, or B, Purdue? I would think it would be the Boilers. But if you would like me to change my answer to Florida State, I'll go with Florida State. I, I would, I'd probably change, Mike. Isn't there a, is there an ESPN... Let's go, with, let's go with the Seminole. Is there an ESPN analyst named Mark Spears? I think yeah. so. Uh, I, I think believe... So. And, and a Mark, Mark with a C... Oh, I think that's right, yeah. yeah. But he, uh, this is his, he, this is his favorite team of the two. Let's go with the Seminoles. Okay. Number two, Jelani Woods had a career high eight receptions in the Colts' loss to the Steelers on Monday Night Football. The eight catches, second most for a rookie tight end in Indianapolis Colts history. Who was the only Indianapolis Colts rookie tight end with more catches in the game? And you got to go back a bit for this one. A. Charles Arbuckle. B. Ken Dilger. C. Dwayne Allen. D. Dallas Clark. You ever, um, Mike? You ever read Garfield the comic strip? Let's go with uh, Charles Arbuckle. 
<laughs> My man. Garfield reference. Question number three. Well, he got where I was going with that. Question number three. He's yeah. on with JMV. We'll get him. Uh, Charles, he is. Charles Ar- Yannick Ngakwe, who of course has been appropriately named and creatively named no, in a craze that's no. overtaking the city by me, Yannick Ngakwe, has recorded at least half a sack in six consecutive games, which is tied for the longest active streak in the NFL. Why, you ask? Because Yannick Ngakwe. In my opinion, that no, sucks. I don't think so at all. Thanks, who is the last co- if, if he had Ngakwe, Jim Moore might still be here, showing that, in fact, he needed Ngakwe. Who is the last Colt to have a six-game streak with at least a half a sack? Was it Dwight Freeney, Robert Mathis, Justin Houston, or Eric Walden? Um, This guy's having a big year this year. Go with uh, Justin Houston. All right, Mike. Number four, the U.S. men's national soccer team advanced to the World Cup Round of 16 with a 1-0 victory, 1-0 victory over Iran yesterday. Yesterday's win came on the heels of the Americans' nil-nil draw with England on Friday. In which decade did the United States men's national team last post back-to-back shutouts during a World Cup? 1990s, 1970s, 1950s, or 1930s? 1930s. Wow, Mike, that was... How strong. Question number five, Mike. Name the only player in Major League Baseball history to have a season with at least 50 extra base hits, 50 stolen bases, and 100 walks. Fifty extra base hits. Dude, go one more time there. Fifty extra base hits. Fifty extra base hits, fifty stolen bases, and one hundred walks. Only one player has done that. And he actually did it four times. That's pretty wild. I don't know if I don't know if Ricky Henderson ever had enough extra base hits, but he probably had a bunch of doubles. Oh boy! I'm going to give you multiple choice. Oh, whoa, whoa! Four for four. Looks like Jake's getting an indoor putting. Ring. Ricky Henderson, Joe Morgan, Ty Cobb, or Ichiro. Go, Ty Cobb. Okay. I love Ichiro. Do you really? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Okay. Speaking of a Mariner. <clears throat> My all-time favorite player, by the way, was the answer for question number five. Florida State was correct for question number one. Mike, off to a good start. And I was super impressed, Mike. That's a W. With the fact that you seemingly knew that John Arbuckle Let's is see. the yeah. owner Great, of though. Garfield. Thus, he got Charles Arbuckle. Justin Houston, the last coach to have a six-game streak with at least a half a sack. And Mike Strong with the 1930s for question number four. That's rare here. Question number five. He said Ricky Henderson. Without the multiple choice initially. Then went with Ty Cobb. But it was the guy that was the teammate of my motivation, Johnny Bench, for picking caller number five. Joe Morgan, the correct answer. Joe Morgan. You blew it! Mike, strong effort. Enjoy the putting green. You don't get to come back tomorrow. You don't even get a lousy copy of our home game. You're a complete loser. (laughs) Kudos to the Pacers because they have hope, they have direction, and they have promise. The Colts, on the other hand, are a huge vat of uncertain suck. 
Oh, thanks. That was one of my favorite lines you've, you've said. That of right. uncertain suck. <laughs> okay. We hope that's not Mike's effort installing that the putting green. That was early later. yesterday, was it not? That was. Because I barely remember saying it. You came out swinging on, on that morning, which is rare for you. <laughs> How much do you think a 15-foot indoor putting green would cost? A uh, 15-foot indoor putting green. 15 by 8 feet. 2500 bucks. Why don't you ask Mike? Oh He's right here. I don't know. We still have Mike? Yeah. Mike, how much would that cost? No comment. Oh. What? <laughs> no, it depends what you want. I mean, our, what you said 15 by 18? 15 by 8. Nothing nothing crazy. 15 by 8. Okay. Well, I mean, we could definitely hook you up. I mean, I mean, how many oil changes am I getting? Well, that's that's, <laughs> that's a great question. Things that's called payola right there, which is not right. frowned upon. Mike, I, I might slide into your DMs, vice versa. Slide into your DMs. Topic. Appreciate okay, you that's not uncomfortable at all. Oh, oh my. <laughs> that's a- uh, <laughs> could Tom Allen be on the... Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. Move. We'll chat about that to round out the show. Jake Jeff Brom's going to join us tomorrow at 8 o'clock. That's pretty awesome, considering we'll be, at that point, within 60 hours or so of the Big Ten title game, right? Yeah, 8 o'clock on Saturday night, Purdue and Michigan. That's, I believe, Fox. So then I think that would be Gus Johnson and Joel Klatt on the call of that one. I really enjoy Joel Klatt as a color announcer. I think he's really good. Now, who's your who is your ultimate dream team when it comes to? I mean, honestly, I'm I'm looking forward to Sunday night because I do like Tariko a lot on the call of Colts Cowboys. Um, boy, I know he didn't hold back with his assessment of Matt Ryan the other night. I I do enjoy Troy Aikman. I appreciate his candor. Yeah, Aikman's really good because he's just kind of a cool guy, but at the same time, like he, he kind of has earned the clout of being able to say whatever. Like, who's going to question him, right? Plus, I feel like you get in that quarterback fraternity a bit, and like they're kind of afraid to say some stuff, or you know, they, they oftentimes cover up for the quarterback, and boy, he did not do that uh, the other night. How about this from The Athletic yesterday, Jake? You see Hugh Freeze to um, Auburn. Yes. So he leaves Liberty. Uh, Liberty is, I think, thought to be one of the more uh, resource-abundant group of five schools. They're going to uh, join the Conference USA, I think, coming up here. If it's not next year, maybe the year after that. And a name thrown around for Liberty, and in the article it said, industry sources have thrown the name Tom Allen. Around, I think, I think that would be a really good fit for a couple of Liberty. reasons. Number one, Liberty, if I'm not mistaken, as a university, is a very faith-based school. Yes, uh-huh. And I think that fits well with Tom Allen. In Virginia, by the way, for those confused where Liberty um, is. Number two, I, 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 think, I don't think Tom Allen is a terrible football coach. I don't think he's a Big Ten football coach. Uh, and number three, hallelujah, people in Bloomington would be doing backflips over the liberty of getting out from underneath the Tom Allen contract, which is like the – I will go back to – I mean, he has the fourth highest buyout in college football. Literally in one year where Indiana played in front of no one, and they had a great year in the COVID year. Don't get me wrong, they had a great year. But 
there were a lot of things that that needed to be like tempered a little bit in terms of evaluating it. And Indiana was like Cameron from Ferris Bueller's Day Off, where they just decided to go ahead and marry the first girl, first girl that you know loved them. And so, boom, let's go. What about resiliency? Isn't it relentless? Yes. Relentless. Sorry. Yeah. Relentless. Relentless. Okay. I didn't realize his buyout continues to be twenty million through next season. Yeah, I mean it's the fourth highest in college football. I thought I read in there like he would owe Indiana four million, I believe, if he were to leave. I mean, it would be quite the. I mean, Jake, frankly, it'd be, it'd be quite the ego check to do that, and also a bit of a financial hit. If I'm Tom Allen, I'm not going anywhere. I'm, right. I, I'm not going to say any names because I don't want to disparage anybody, but I know one coach who coached at a Big Ten school and was fired and then had offers elsewhere and was like, no, I'm not going to take any offers till my contract's up because I want them to have to pay me every single dollar of my buyout because to hell with them. You know what I mean? I get it. I think the Liberty connection is Hugh Freeze had Tom out on staff at Old Miss back, you know, probably over half a dozen years ago now. So that's not a direct connection necessarily to Tom Allen having coached at Liberty, but who knows if that'll play out at all. You know, I've thought about this with Stanford's opening. What about Pep Hamilton for Stanford? Boy, that's interesting. Yeah, because he'd been there before, right? Wasn't he the OC there? OC there under Harbaugh. Currently the OC of the Texans. Would that give them a little pep in the step? It's not one of your best. <laughs> Sorry. Curious to see what happens with Stanford's football program. Like Harbaugh and David Shaw had them on a level that I think is very, I mean, very difficult to achieve. And if you know we had Jeff Smoley in, in studio with us a little bit earlier, if indeed they do go to the Big Ten, you know, what type of relevance are they gonna have on the football level? Because it got ugly there late in the Shaw era. Like, how awesome would it be if Washington and Oregon joined the Big Ten, which I think will inevitably happen, but like for Indiana or Purdue, either one, to be able, I, there would be no greater trip than to go out to Seattle to go watch them play at UW. Are you kidding? I mean, I, I realize if you had Stanford, USC, U, UCLA, Washington, Oregon in the Big Ten, it's not like you'd be going and playing out there every year, right? I mean, it would be, the, the league would be so big with 20 teams in it that there would probably be you probably would only go to Washington like every four years, right? Oh, I would guess less than that. I mean, Purdue's playing Michigan Saturday night. They've played one time in the last decade. Isn't that crazy? Now you're going to add more teams. And I assume Purdue and Indiana would be in the Eastern Division. Right, right, of course. And then they would not be in the Western Division. But nonetheless, I mean, some road trips that obviously... I mean, to go watch Indiana or Purdue play at Poly Pavilion. You do not get... I just still think about it from an Olympic sports standpoint. Yeah, Wednesday night soccer match in Seattle. No question. I mean, it's just wild. Uh, tonight again, a lot of basketball. Six thirty, Butler is going to host Kansas State. It's undefeated Kansas State over at Hinkle. Seven fifteen, it's Purdue at Florida State in the ACC Big Ten Challenge. Purdue an overwhelming favorite for that one. Indiana's hosting North Carolina at nine fifteen. I I still take the Hoosiers comfortably with that. Four Indiana and a half by point twelve. Spread. I might look at an alternate line there. 
for that one. And then Pacers-Kings. Our coverage begins at 9.30. You've had these Western Conference matchups for the Pacers this season that have had like some fun other storylines. And tonight you've got a ton of them. Turner against Sabonis. Halliburton and Heald going back to Sacramento. Benedict Matherin. He doesn't need much motivation, I think, on any night. But clearly with how he reacted to Jay Ivey earlier in the year... I assume that he would have a similar reaction with Keegan Murray. I'll be curious to see how Tyrese Halliburton is received in Sacramento. Because you would think that the Kings fans have to... I mean, it wasn't his choice, obviously, to be traded. Um, But he has really blossomed. I mean, you know, 40 straight assists since his last turnover. Which is just incredible. Yeah, I mean, you talk about a guy that's in full control quarterbacking the Pacers' offense. I, mean, I thought the play he made to find Nemhard for the game winner was so, so just calm, collected, didn't panic. How many times do you see guys in that moment just chuck up a shot, throw it in the corner, first guy they see that's totally. open, he gets it to Nemhard, get it off in time. And winner. then for Nemhard to be able to to get the release of the shot without panic and without rush. Sure. You know, with LeBron James closing in on him, I mean, it's, it's especially pretty him, stuff. Jake. He's not. I mean, he wasn't the go-to guy at Gonzaga, Correct. or the go-to guy at Florida. Correct. You know, in college. So IU uh, win margin eleven or eleven plus plus two forty. Win by twelve. I would entertain it. I'd entertain. Jeff Brom going to join us tomorrow at eight o'clock. Looking forward to that conversation. Everybody have a great Wednesday. We'll chat with you then.